don't know where Gomer is. Well, no, I know where he is. He should be here soon, though. Okay. Um, I don't know why he's scheduled this thing for tonight, but here we are. Here cool. we are. So if you want, we can just do a little, like, before Gomer thing, and I'll put it up on our Patreon page. Sure. Sure. That cool. way I get the content. Screw you, yeah. Gormley. So, uh, exactly. Hi, Patreon. $10 and up subscribers. I'm here with the guys from uh, the Clerically Speaking podcast. I have um, Father Harrison here. What's up? And then we have Father Anthony. Um, Father Anthony, how do I say your last name? Sharapa. Sharapa. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Not he rapa, but she rapa. She, she rapa. I've, I um, <laughs> have a friend in um, college who had a last name that was kind of, kind of close to that. So, makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, why did you guys decide to um, rip off our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're not ripping off your podcast. I feel like we're ripping off Catholic stuff. You should know. <laughs> what are you talking about? I feel like we we listen to Catholic stuff you you should know, and we're like, what if this podcast was good? Let's do that, <laughs> and that's how we got clerically speaking. Oh, that's funny. Is your I feel like your show was at first designed to be more Twitter oriented. Was that true? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Is it still that? Uh, yes. I mean, the first like segment that we do, or second segment we do, is about Twitter. More yeah. or less. And you yeah. guys have that really cool, like, um, uh, like um, song with that that I thought was so funny. <laughs> that was all producer Nick. That was all producer Nick. I remember the day he sent us, like, he texted us this audio file. I was howling for like five minutes straight. Mm-hmm. I, I was, it was, it was brilliant, and it's been, it was just awesome. And and we have to give credit to Nick Sens too, who came up with the name Suma Tweetologica. Yes. He, it was really awesome. So just all that came together. It was, I guess, a happenstance thing of Twitter where everyone kind of came together with their creative juices, and it was just a really funny thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to, to see Catholic Twitter's powers used for good as opposed to, to sadness. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. we try. Although so, I will say, like, I think we, we've been noticing now, like, our audience is starting to slowly expand beyond the Twitter realm. There you yep. go. Yeah. So, which is, I think it's just natural that that slowly happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be looking to ways to include like people's non-tweets. Maybe we get an email or, or a Facebook message or something like that. So cool. there are ways we got to kind of let it grow. But I don't think we could ever lose the name Suma Tweetologica. That, that's, that's staying no. forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. I've, um, I've completely abandoned the Twitter account for the podcast. And not yeah. out of um, spite or anything, more out of laziness. <laughs> but I just don't feel the need to go back to it yet. So um, I'm not sure. It's you, hard. It's hard keeping more than one account going. It, how do you guys find time to like, cause you guys tweet a lot. How do you find time to do that? Or like, or I mean, like how do you, is it just like you just make when you the have, time? When you have, when you have so much work, that means you have so much work to avoid. Exactly. And Twitter is always there. So like, Oh, I got to do this next page in my marriage paperwork. Let me send out a tweet first. Let's see what's going on on Twitter. Then I'll get back to it. It's my little mini break before I get back to the things I'm not very good at, like nice. uh, paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> I could sign these baptismal things, or I could comment on Alyssa Milano. Exactly. Exactly. She wins. <laughs> or, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's going on the B side. We can say whatever we want. Yes. Delightful. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, but it's like tough because I keep going back and forth about how much I use it, how much I should. Sometimes I just kind of go crazy with it and tweet whatever I want. Then I get a whole bunch of like a hornet's nest mad at me. And I'm like, should I ignore that or should I? 
It's it's well, it you is, do really controversial things, Father Anthony. Like post pictures with hot pockets. I did post a selfie with hot pockets, and this was unbecoming of my priestly dignity. Wait, did people tell you that? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now the person that that started this whole kerfuffle, we've since reconciled, which is very rare. Um, but we had a whole long conversation. But yeah, I posted a picture of this big box of hot pockets because my brother, one and the same uh, producer Nick. Uh, I crashed at his house on my day off, and he bought this like huge box of Hot Pockets. I thought it was ridiculous. I took a picture of it. I tweeted it. And I also tweeted, I'm eating one Hot Pocket in reparation for all of your bad tweets. So every time someone would eat, write a bad tweet, the <laughs> idea was I was going to eat a Hot Pocket, which is hilarious. It's a great tweet. But apparently, this was a whole thing. So, yeah. <laughs> it's weird with Catholic Twitter. Like, one thing's, I mean, I'm not that big of a deal. I don't have as many followers as you guys have. Uh, but there is this weird thing where you have to like I've slowly this is this has kind of started to creep into like my top, to my mentions at least is that people have these weird expectations not, not like I'm not of me per se but just of people in general and because mm-hmm. you have somewhat of and somewhat of an audience they will reach out to you you know mm-hmm. and it's just odd because it's, it's like you're angry that I'm not meeting your expectations that I've that like one I've never heard of, and two mm-hmm. you have no right to have those of me because you don't know me. Mm-hmm. It's weird, right? Like, but they you guys see, just- yeah, because the thing is, they see me like talking with people I'm a little bit friendlier with, and you uh, you're tweeting your thoughts and stuff, so they feel like they do know you, but they don't exactly. at all. So they feel yeah. like they have some sort of rights to your attention when they don't at all. Uh, that's the problem. A lot of times it's not done out of malice. It's just people don't understand what the internet is and what it isn't. A lot of times the, the most annoying people on Twitter are not necessarily the malicious ones, but the ones who just don't get what the medium is and what it isn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. How have you guys seen it? So, like, um, how long have you guys been active on on the Twitter? I've been active. Oh, my gosh. I want to – I've been like I've been on Twitter since 2010 or 11, oh, but wow. I was never, okay. like – but I was never like I was kind of just hovering there for a long time. Uh, I kind of got into it a little bit more um, in 2012, I guess. That's when I started interacting with like Tommy and Sister Helena and stuff like that. And but it was like really, I would say in the last like year and a half, two years has been when it's really kind of gone off into something totally unexpected, right? Like this is none, nothing of what my Twitter profile is now. I never would have expected in a million years, and so it. It's been the last two years. I find it's been really kind of solidified as something I'm kind of intentionally active in now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Father Anthony. There's yeah, some video. Yeah, so there we go. No, some for some reason Skype crashed. But yeah, I've only been on oh. Twitter for like two years, three years now. Oh wow. Maybe? Yeah. I'm just really good at tweeting. That's why I have so many. <laughs> well, well, and we have to say like you kind of got into it because of the what of the last contest that I won against you. Okay, right. no, I got into Twitter because my brother was trying to get roasted yes. by Gordon Ramsay. I'm like, what is this hilarious website where you can talk to famous people and they might talk back to you? So that's why I joined the Twitter. But then, yeah, because of Tommy Ty's stupid thing, we started arguing on Twitter, and that's how we became friends. Yeah, that's um, kind of awesome. Can I give you a, a my Tommy Ty confession? Sure. Yes, please. Very nice guy. We've interacted on the Twitter a bit. Uh, we've done a few. There was a period of time when... I think it was uh, Catholic Drinky was organizing these like group chats on YouTube, where like okay, like yeah. a couple of us would just be on there and we would all chat, and it was really fun. And 
I, I just found his tweets incredibly annoying. <laughs> Mostly because I like the word hipster to me means a very specific type of person in terms of like their fashion, their um, their um cultural um interest and things like that. And like this yeah. is like two thousand um thirteen, two thousand fourteen, mm-hmm. where it's like the tail end of like the hipster um movement in terms of the culture. You know, like mm-hmm. kind of the end mm-hmm. of the man bun. Era, even though it was, you know, <laughs> but does the man bun peak. ever really end? I know exactly, right? According to Game of Thrones, no. Uh, and so Tommy would like, ha- I was like, You're not a hipster, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it was just, <laughs> I just got like more annoyed. I'm like, What, what is this? <laughs> it's oh true, he really is. He should, he really is more of like the Catholic normie than the Catholic hipster, yeah, but. or just like the Catholic dork from San Francisco who's a nice guy. I'm <laughs> no, he's great, he's wonderful. He's so, so mean. We were supposed to meet in July, but then he had to go and have a baby, and so he had to ditch out with meeting me when I was in San Francisco in January. This is why you can't trust lay people, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You never know when they're going to have a baby. You just pop a thing <laughs> out. You just you drink too much one night and you're paying for it the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Shame, 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 shame. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid all the stuff that we could talk about on the podcast until uh, Gomer gets here. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, do you guys have, like, what would you guys um, like to know about I'm um, Catching Foxes? This is how prepared I am for tonight. Ooh, let's see. The first episode Open I listened to from you guys. It was like an episode where you started talking about the podcast and how you were thinking about it being like over. And yeah. I was like, what, what, why do people, why do people like this? What's going on? What kind of self-serving bullshit is this? I, I know. Why is it so popular? <laughs> self-serving bullshit is this? Why is it so popular? It's like, that is your advertise. That's your, that's going to be your new stickers. <laughs> so literally I stopped listening to it for like a month and then I got back and it was after the summer of scandal. And I was like, Oh, these guys are actually really smart. And I've been listening to it since. Um, oh, that's funny. You know, what's yeah. really interesting? like right before that, I, re- I feel bad about this, but I really felt like we were creatively spent. Like mm-hmm. we just kind of had, I had um, nothing. Cause I mean, I went on a roll for about like three years on the show. I could just, I mean, this is not, I am, I am not trying to brag. It just was like, it was kind of awesome. I felt like I was just in this creative spot where I just had like stuff to talk about over and over and over again. And it was like we were I'm taking the podcast to these real profound places and people were really um, responding to it. And like, I've never heard anything. I'm like, this, this is great. I'm like, we're doing it, Peter. We're doing it. You know, um, that kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like over the summer of this was 2018, I just was like, I, I think I'm done. Like, I, I think I, I don't have anything else. And I was kind of starting to panic. And I saw it in our numbers. They dropped by like 10,000 for Oof. two weeks in a row. And I was like, what the hell? I was like, well, this is it. And then the scandals <laughs> happened. And I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Never been better. Uh, I try to remember when I started listening to it. I, I have a big memory of Steve the Missionary talking about it. And so that's kind of when I, I started listening to it. And then I got – I'm really bad with listening to podcasts sometimes. And then I kind of got away from it a while. Then I got – I think it was like kind of summer scandal stuff that kind of really got me back into it again. And so I've been kind of catching up on old episodes and stuff like that whenever – I have to do a lot of driving. So oh, you yeah. guys are like nice. – you guys are my uh, you guys are my companions for the road when I'm not listening to my own podcast. God, yeah. Isn't it weird when you, when you do listen to your own podcast and like you laugh at your own uh, jokes and you hear yourself laughing yeah. at your jokes? Uh, we we <laughs> just had our – so we were just in Chicago this week uh, with a bunch of Twitter priests and we did a recording with all the guys there. And I, I just finished listening today and I was laughing so hard in the car. I'm like – 
this is really bad, but it's also really funny still. And it's great. And it's, it was weird. It's like really weird listening to your own podcast for the first two weeks. Then you kind of get used to it and yeah. you learn your own mannerisms and you kind of, it's good though. You have to do this because you need to learn what are the good things that we're doing? Where are the things I need to work on? Like one of my problems is uh, father Anthony will talk, I'll cut him off and then I'll talk for 10 minutes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very aware of this now. And so I'm trying to work at this. Mm. 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 Notice how mm. we're all trying to provide open space now for each other. <laughs> I was like pausing. Wait, I did yeah, have exactly. a question for you though, because this is something that. So, like, when I'm doing anything in public, um, I'm a public person. I'm a priest. People are aware of this. So, while even on the podcast, on our podcast, um, I think we're being honest. Mm-hmm. There's still a bit of reserve and being aware that people are listening. And that you're a priest. So this is always in the back of your head whenever you're out, whenever you're wearing clerics and all that stuff, which is it's fine. But one thing. So you guys do this catching foxes thing and you guys are like brutally honest. Yeah. And that takes how like, are you ever scared of that? Like, yep. what was the decision yeah. of like you guys were like, oh, we're just going to actually do this. And I think what you do is you create like a, a, a space of freedom for everyone who's listening to you. I think it's a good thing. But yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's going to be kind of scary to, to do that, at least at first. Sure is. Um, there's been plenty of podcasts where we've been done. And I've, ha- you know, like you know how, like, I think in I'm like Catholic circles or probably anyone where you're dealing with uh, other faith where you have like a good conversation. And like, I just feel good about myself and about God and life. Some of our most popular episodes, I have I'm walked away and been like, I feel raw, I feel vulnerable, I feel scared, and I feel gross. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, per- particularly with, like, um, me and ex-girlfriends, I've been pretty blunt about that. And for oh, a couple – just just because – so, okay, so actually let me, like, let me um, answer this from a um, meta standpoint. Yeah. I, th- I think – one reason why we took that approach and why I tried to was I didn't think it was fair for us to ask that of our guest when it, mm-hmm. we didn't um, when these people that I didn't know that well and it wasn't in person. Mm-hmm. So some of my favorite um, podcasts are like the WTF podcast with um, with um, Mark Marin. If you like hear especially a lot of his older episodes, it's a lot like ours. Like you can kind of mm-hmm. see like, oh, that's the vulnerability that they are going for. And he's able to do that. You know, he, he has an hour long podcast, but he takes, you know, two to three hours to record because it takes time for him to, to, to get his guests to a point where they feel like um, they can share these things. And they share some pretty mm. profound, deep, uh, deep, uh, deep and vulnerable stuff. And I wanted to be able to do that. But I didn't know how else to do it besides us doing that. And I think that was also the kind of podcast. And so, and then we also like these um, long form podcasts compared to what's more popular now, which is your you know kind of really clean half hour to forty five minutes at most. And so yep. it was kind of this. Uh, we didn't really know how to podcast any other way, and mm-hmm. we have just enough ego that it's like I need this to be heard. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. if people don't hear it, like, fine, I'll stop. You know, but. Yeah. So, and I think I've and I've been particularly pretty honest about like a lot of stuff that I've dealt with, uh, just because again, I think a lot of um, and why we started the podcast was there were a lot of Catholic podcasts out there. Not we weren't even really trying to be a Catholic podcast, but there wasn't anything with our voice, and and by that I mean like people who are into their faith, who are into pop culture, who wanted to have real honest um, conversations and not be afraid to be like. Like, no, no, I'm going to get, like, really blunt here. 
You know, yeah. so I'm yeah. going to talk about when I had premarital sex. I'm going to talk about when, mm. uh, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of my broken uh, relationships. I'm going to talk about, you know, what it's like to have a speech impediment, how that can be really scary at times, and how that can be really mm. frustrating. And we're mm. going to talk about like our dads, you know, like Gomer's dad being I'm sick. And we're talking about like you know, I don't know what else yeah. to do. Yeah, it's it's it's. You so I, I think that's and I think it's a beautiful thing because I think you guys are also in a position where you can do that, like. I don't know how Father Anthony might feel about this, but I feel like there's like this kind of almost unspoken way of how clerical culture is kind of formed for priests. It's like you have to be very private. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I think and I think there's actually there is a wisdom to this, too, in a way, because it's not really about us anyways. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think people enjoy or appreciate hearing kind of those, some of those inner struggles sometimes, but it's, 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 it's a tough thing because we are public people, right. As priests. And so a lot of the struggles we go through are through maybe our, uh, our parishioners being a jerk to us one day, or, mm-hmm. and those are things you can't really talk publicly about, not because you don't want to talk about it, but because it's not fair to the person who has maybe affronted you yeah. or something like that, yeah, or, it's not, or you're, okay. you're struggling or you're struggling like with, you know, you might, you, you might be like having a day where lust suddenly comes up in your life and you're like, I don't how do I, I don't want to talk about that. People don't want you to kind of talk about those things, but priests talk about these things, but we, we tend to do it more within our own circle than letting, we don't, we tend to not let the veil be torn yeah. for Which people I think to it's see. good because whether people think it consciously or not, you know, we are you know public people represent the church, sure, but there's in a very real way we represent Christ and our Christ to people, and even our in a sense God the Father to people, uh, not of course literally, but so but there's gonna be a lot of people who look to you like that, and there's something that's not wrong about that. So the thing is, so we can be honest, more honest with ourselves, um, in a way that you just you simply should not be to people because. Uh, you, you can't know where that's why uh, it's difficult to make friends or not difficult. We have to be careful. We have to be very prudent when you're making friends as a priest, because mm-hmm. if I'm going to become friends with you, uh, then I'm not going to be able to be your priest in the same way that if I wasn't like yeah, if I'm right. your friend, yeah. I cannot be your spiritual director. Exactly. Uh, if I'm your friend, like I can, we can chat, we can trade advice, but I can't be your spiritual father in the same way. Now, of course I've, I've ministered, I've baptized my friends, kids and all that stuff, yeah. but it's still different. You're, you're, yeah. you get, it, it's a privileged relationship, but then you also don't get that kind of father, child, spiritual relationship that you would have mm-hmm. if we weren't friends. So you have to right. be careful of that, those sort of things as well. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, purposefully do not go to confession with my friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I tell. Yeah, I, you, I would even say to my friends, "Don't come to me unless it's like an emergency or something like that." You know. Yeah. Is that hard? I mean, without breaking the seal, is that hard right. on? <laughs> Thank you for telling us not to break the yeah. seal. <laughs> no, yes. no, no. But I, I mean, I don't want you guys to think that I'm like. So tell me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm teasing you. Yeah. Um, like, is it like? Wh- is it hard on like on like, your end? Um. That's why I. I mean, same sort of thing that that uh, Father Harrison's talking about. I. You know, for family, I told them you we're not doing this. You know, unless you're you're dying, and yeah. for friends as well, um, for the most part. Uh, uh, so that even with friends, for me, it's very very rare um, because that that sort of thing is difficult. Um, that's sure. why. I mean, it's also why I I mean, just in general, uh, don't do face to face confessions unless 
I'm out and about yeah. or whatever. But at the yeah. parish, I try not to do it. And even if they, if people do the face to face option, I'm not looking at them because you know some priests they say they have this is magic ability to forget. In general, no. you do forget over a sp- space of time. In general, you do forget because it's just you hear so many. But like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to remember you. And not looking at your face is an important part of that. So yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know. So quick, quick aside with that. This is why. Yeah, um, because the problem with face face two is that it, it creates a two conversational tone with the confessional, and suddenly day to day things are being talked about, and then you're going through your day afterwards. Wait, did this person talk about this in confession? And can I say anything about this? And it's just like it's too hard. It's too hard. Face to face, unless it's like a big event, should be gone. <laughs> That's really interesting. I never thought of yeah. it th- th- like that way, like from the perspective of the priest. It's always been from that of mm. the, the layperson and like, you know, kind of wanting to maintain that uh, healthy space, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I think when I was younger, I, 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 I always liked going on face to face because it felt like, quote unquote, more real. Sure. Right. But then as I got older, I started to like the screen. And I think I started to notice that because I wanted to be more about the sacrament right. and less about this is I think I think like God was um, leading me towards this and less about uh, my needs in the sacrament. If that if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So yeah, it was I, like, sorry. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a path that most people sort of take, because when you first start doing face to face, a lot of times people do it in order to like really confront their own sin and really kind of be honest about it. And that's how it kind of begins. But then after a while, um, the the desire is more for a a kind of sacramental experience where it's like, I don't want this to be about the priest. I want to kind of get um, to the core of this. So I think in general, that's how most people do it. and I, you know, for people, sometimes people get like very worried, like, oh, father, should I then do not not do face to face? And my rule of thumb is if it's offered face to face, you can go. Don't worry about it. If mm-hmm. I really, really didn't want to do it, I really wouldn't like even allow it. That's the priest's mm-hmm. prerogative. Um, so it depends. I've heard really good confessions face to face, really good confessions behind the screen. Yeah. In general, your average Saturday confession spree it tends to be better when people go behind the screen in yeah. my experience. Yeah. How do yeah. you define a good confession? Uh, no bullshit. Ooh. Yeah. This is the thing. This is the thing. Like yeah. I can't read souls, but you can smell bullshit. So it's, <laughs> it's true because like all I really want is someone being honest, someone not trying to make excuses for their sins yeah. and contrition. And you can, yeah. you can tell it's not really the act of contrition, that that the priest can tell the contrition from it's it's the way people are speaking, um, so, and you can hear it in their voice. Like there's a sense of like sadness and and so forth. I mean, you're not going to have an emotional experience all the time when you go to confession, right? But, but they also, on the other hand, sometimes I get people who like they said they they you know they swore once and told a few white lies, and then they're weeping on the other side of the confessional, yeah. and that might be a sign of something unhealthy going on too. So it all depends. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think um, and a good confession also. I think that there has to be a real sense of self awareness with oneself, right? And and how they are before God, so that when you're asking questions, the 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 good the, the good confessor or the good confessee who's going to confession, as I'm kind of helping to try probe to help them get deeper in their relationship with God, they have this real sense of being able to answer honestly and like. And profoundly and to say, yeah, that's that's what I need to work on in my life. And they go away and they do it. Like for me, the best confessees are the ones who come in, they confess a sin, and then you never hear them confess that sin again. 
<laughs> Wait, what? I I mean, I don't know. I don't right. know about that. Well, no, no, I mean, I mean, of course, that's what you want. But I mean, like, they, these are the, like, what I mean by that is that they come and they're like, I'm, oh, wow, I got to be serious about this now. Right? Sure. And I'm not sure. saying that's going to happen for everyone, right? Clerical so I'm just saying, like, that's. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, that's, that is a, okay, let me rephrase that. That is a what way of a good confession where someone comes in, they confess this sin, and maybe they didn't even know it was a serious sin or something like that. And you kind of help them come to that. And then they never come back with it again because they recognize this breaks their communion with God. Mm. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the re- reason why I'm freaking out when you say yes. that is because I'm imagining someone listening to this who's the scrupulous uh, habitual exactly. masturbator. And all of a sudden yes. they think to themselves, oh, no, I, I can't yeah, make I, no, a no, good absolutely. confession because I can't, you know, shake no, no, this no. off. And I mean, that's a bad way to put it. I can't get rid of yes. the sin in exactly. a few moments. Right. So exactly. that's that's why I'm like, no, no, totally, totally. I, I, I'm 100 percent there with you. Yeah. <laughs> How do you um, if if um, if you guys like had a Catholic who. Um, wanted to go but hasn't gone in you know like a really long time it just is like um kind of doesn't um, get the like doesn't really um get the point or th- things like like this is a good thing to do but uh, like h- how do you like try to like tell a person who's kind of on like on the fence about it who could kind of go either like way and like they're they're like trying to go deeper in their catholic faith but they don't think um, confession is really that big of a deal or really isn't um needed um, well, I would just say, yeah, I would say first, just like if, if you're kind of trying to go deep in your faith, then take advantage of what the church proposes are the ways to get us deeper into our faith. And one of those things is confession. And to don't be like, don't be afraid. Like I always say, the priest is we're not here to bite your head off. If you've had a bad experience before, I'm sorry. That's, I, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, just give it a shot. Give God's mercy a chance. And like that's a line I've used a lot at my parish. Because people, for a variety of reasons, a lot of priests back in the day, they did stuff like general absolution and stuff here. And they didn't even go to, they didn't sit in the confessional for so many years. So a lot of the people have been habituated to think they don't need to go to confession. And I just, just, I just kind of throw this line out over and over again. And I also, and the other thing is, I share how much I love going to the sacrament. Mm. I try to, I try to go every two or three weeks just because I need God's mercy and there's grace there. Why would I want, why would I not want grace? Um, and I say those two things and it's been amazing seeing how many people take advantage of the sacrament because of it. Oh man, this is, this is a half form. Usually I leave it to Father Harrison to, to say something, a thought that's half formed and then I make fun of him for the rest of the podcast, but I'm going wow. to do it Yeah, 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 it works. Wow. It, it generates excellent content. The people love it. Wow. Um, we all but, have our podcast uh, cultures that will help produce <laughs> that sweet, sweet content. <laughs> <laughs> but so this isn't necessarily what I would say to a person, but the idea of, uh, I don't know if I need to go to confession or not, or I'm on the fence. There's a lot of pride in that soul that needs to die. Mm-hmm. The idea that, um, or even like when people are like, oh, I don't know if I need to confess to a priest, even though, of course, we know we're confessing, you know, theologically speaking, the truth is we are confessing to Christ. Christ is working through the priest. I think even there that betrays the one thing that even very faithful Catholics today are bad at. And I think that's obedience mm-hmm. um, because there's because so many authority figures have not only let us down, but use their authority for great evil. Um, people struggle in a deep way with obedience. But the thing is, if you're not obedient to a, a tangible power here on Earth, whether that's the church on Earth, whether that's a, a legitimate spiritual father, then you're not going to be 
obedient to God the Father. You'll say you are. You'll say, no, I'm obedient to the church teachings. But what you see in people who, who think this way, who aren't obedient to any legitimate um, representation here on earth, they begin to become more and more their own spiritual authority and their exactly. own magisterium. Yeah. And more and more they fall into pride. And they might even know a whole lot about the faith, but they fall more and more into pride. So I think someone who, who's struggling with that, I don't, I don't know if I would say this. I probably wouldn't. But this is something I, I've been thinking about a lot yeah. lately. Um, there needs to be a look inside your soul and say, you know what? Where is where's where's the pride? Yeah. And even if you're not sure exactly what is going on or whether confession is legit, confessions honest confession is a really good way to kill your pride. Yeah. It's just going in there and to the church, to this priest, and to God himself, you're saying, I have sinned, I have screwed up, and it is my fault. Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. there are lots of circumstances, but you know what? I need help and I can't do this on my own. And just as a spiritual practice, admitting that in a real tangible way is healthy for you. It helps you get closer to God because you're, you're removing, you know, uh, this wall of pride that you have. Yeah. You know, I I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up about the pride and the importance of the magisterium. Yeah. Um, Because I think that, um, well, I feel like the church has just taken a beating right now. Like just like the, no, like a like stop, stop. He's already dead. Kind of a beating, <laughs> you know. Like like this past week, like last week was just brutal. You had that Brian Sims guy being a just not yeah. good person. Um, you had a you had the whole Ben Shapiro thing, which I'm not the. I mean, I agree with like with a lot of his beliefs. I don't necessarily agree with how he expresses those all 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 of the time, but. uh just like, because I saw on on Twitter, like people were saying, why do we even give this guy his, his extreme hateful views a um, a platform? And I'm like, his views are kind of the norm within Christianity. Like a lot of them are, yeah. Like this his is, morality, yeah. yeah. Like this is not like some extreme thing that he's saying here, and mm-hmm. um, and I think there's just this general kind of um, like, and we talked we talked about this before on on the podcast that like we're all just being like tossed to hell like we're all in that boat and it's like jesus this is really bad this is really really bad where are you and um it's tough because i i just think that when you feel so isolated because of your faith and because that the culture is so not even like agnostic anymore it's um anti it's like anti theistic Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 it's almost like, like the magisterium is more important um, now than it really ever has been, but because that, how like tossed around and how insignificant Christianity can, is culturally speaking or how like it feels that way. I think it makes it difficult to come to that realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's what makes it so complicated is because, um, because the authority of the church has people in authority in the church have, have acted so badly. Like you, it's very understandable where these people are coming from. Uh, when, um, but backing up off of that for a second, I wonder how badly we would feel, or would we feel the same way? Would we feel as, uh, worried about the church or, uh, in not despair, um, but sometimes despair. Sure. Would we feel this way? If we weren't watching the news or we weren't on on the internet, would we feel the same way if we were focusing more on what was going on 
just in our local parish. Sometimes I feel like Catholics know too much. And I know that makes me sound yeah. like a real stereotypical medieval cleric, like, like no, mind no. your own business. But I, yeah, I thought that, I mean, we've, we've I'm talked about that a bit on, on our podcast as well. And I, I think that I'm, I mean, like, let's just say not even um, in terms of uh, just like the church, but like the culture as a whole, it, mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I'm feeling overloaded with stuff. And I'm realizing that I don't have the emotional energy to process people's deep feelings. Yeah. Or, you know, so this kind of like sounds odd, but um, so I've listened to a lot of podcasts um, recently on like um, Game of Thrones and and Avengers Endgame, two things that like I love that are coming to an end. And it's been very um, interesting to hear everyone's um, take on this. And the majority of the podcasts that I listen to end up having this "quote unquote" woke take on on them, on them mm-hmm. which sure. isn't necessarily bad. And the points that they that they are trying to bring up aren't unnecessarily invalid. I think there are some that are, but I, I kind of don't have the emotional energy to stomach it. Anymore. Right. I just want to talk mm-hmm. about like the themes of the show and the themes of the movie. I don't want to hear how like you know, y- like I mean, you think it applies. I don't well, know. It's 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 that it's this idea that everything like it, everything's being politicized. Like everything being turned into a political weapon, right? Yeah, and and that is tiresome. It, it's it, it's um, it's like this. I mean, it's like the Milano thing, right? It's like, let's weaponize sex now. And I'm just like, this is dumb. I'm tired of it. Like, why don't we just actually, like, it, it's, it's, uh, it's where we, we've lost, we, we so concern ourselves with the things of this world that we've actually lost the ability to think about the eternal matters. And it's, yeah, well, and, that makes, and that makes, but that makes, yeah. and that makes evangelizing hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is that energy is that energy making everything a political weapon. What you see, the wokeness, that energy is a spiritual energy. Well, it's not that we're making everything political; it's that we're making everything spiritual. Absolutely. That if absolutely. if there is no eternal life, then then this world becomes everything. And yeah. if there is no God, you need an earthly savior. So that's either going to be uh, Trump or AOC or whatever else. And so you can't when you when things go that out of order, when you become mm-hmm. that disordered with your views, then then. Endgame can't be Endgame, or Game of Thrones can't be Game of Thrones, or little things that can't you can't be appreciated for their place in the universe. They take on a, a magnificent, humongous role because you don't know where to, where to put your spiritual energy because you're looking for earthly salvation. So the problem, I mean, it's not this isn't an original insight by any stretch of the imagination, but the problem is a lack of religion in people's lives, and that energy gets real goofy when it gets suppressed. Yeah, everyone, feel, everyone's a religious creature. It just depends on where they're going to express their religion. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, just even how people talk about Beyonce, and I have like <laughs> two, two sisters who probably I'm listening to this who are going to be I'm very upset because I'm kind of I'm using them as an example, even though I'm not, but kind of you know, like how like she's a queen, she's everything, and like yes. I, I uh, uh, sort of uh, use use your words, Luke. Um, there is this part of it that I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. She's like giving, she's empowering women. She's, being, you know, like there's like a real um, confidence there that I think is very important, especially for an African American woman to have and to be able to um, model to others. But when it becomes like, it takes on this really like religion esque tone. I'm like, this can't bear that weight. 
This exactly. is not no, it doesn't. built like it's I used to do this with um relationships when I was in high school and in college. I wanted them to like bear the weight of my worth. Mm-hmm. And there was yeah. no way that they could do that. And they were yeah. always going to crumble. Yeah. And they were going to continue to crumble until I started to really understand where my worth was. And Within a lot of the discourse about this stuff, there's a it's kind of interesting because there's this real um, lack of respect for the human person. So take this Ben Sims guy. I believe that's his name. He's the legislator out in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Pro-life people praying outside of abortion clinics are not anything new, nor is people being uncomfortable with it and not being happy uh, uh, like um, with that. But for the most part, They've kind of been able to coexist in this weird thing. Hey, there he is. Hey, hey. Let me just make this point, and then we can unwrap this yeah. up. Yeah. So the pro life, and it's you know, and I'm not saying that it didn't have that it, that it wasn't awkward, that it wasn't tough, that it wasn't incredibly serious, and that it wasn't um, painful, but it was never violent. Yeah. And I feel like it's slowly getting violent. Well, violence will always. Um bear itself when finite things can't bear the weight of infinity yeah yeah you should you should end it right there yeah that quote boom there we go (laughs) like i mean i don't know um what else to do about this ben sims guy besides just to pray for him because i because i get so angry and it's so repulsive because because the problem and the problem is is the only the only other way is to do what he does but with more extremism and that yeah that and the problem i mean this is all this is all rene gerard too right so it's like we have you have to like kind of unveil it by becoming the scapegoat for him to exercise his anger on and we're and you're even going to be persecuted and and oppressed because of it but that's okay because you're actually going to unveil the dynamics of evil uh and violence that's inherent within their worldview Ooh, yeah, that's very Rene Girardian of you. I know. Uh, I love hey, Rene Girard. Hey, you know what I was thinking right along those lines to pivot the conversation into something that I can contribute to? <laughs> yeah. um, there's a person that I pray for uh, constantly. Well, well, two priests. Um, one was that priest in Chicago that had one of his parishioners burn uh, a gay Christian flag. Um, and now he's more or less in hiding. Mm-hmm. From the cardinal because the cardinal has basically sends him to mandatory mental evaluation, which is so Soviet. Um, it's it's weird, but it's a thing that happens all the time in every diocese. It's and to me that oh, that is horrific. But mm-hmm. um, some cases I'm sure it's needed, but it just sounds horrific. And the other one is that priest who there's that diocesan administrator who because the priest put some candles on the altar, um, all of a sudden his people will ratted him out from some ultra liberal congregation and he's been stripped of his ability to be a priest um from this diocesan administrator that is just nuts Mm -hmm. um and uh i think of these priests and i'm like what what are they doing because then they go into hiding right Mm -hmm. and it's like this is this is kind of the opportunity for you to be crucified for the body of christ by the church and i just when you made that uh I was just thinking about that today, and I was like, you know, because the Catholic stuff you should know, guys, talk about this is the weight that we bear with the pre-sex abuse scandals mm-hmm. and, you know, being under this reign of suspicion and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But um, I really found what you just said to be so striking to be like, no, dude, go and and receive whatever lumps the Cardinal wants to yep. give you as 
the be humble crucified. lamb. Well, that's because yeah. we want glory, but we don't want to be martyrs. We don't actually want to be saints. But then everyone who want... wants, everyone wants to reform the church. No one wants to be a saint. Everyone wants to be the hero. No one wants to be the saint. And, and if you look at the lives of the saints, they let themselves be per- be persecuted or even delayed or whatever else by the church because these when people are making these maybe even they're do, doing the right decision or whatever else uh, they're not trusting that the church is in the hands of Jesus Christ exactly. they think that they have to fix it themselves and that's what we and, see with like blogs yeah. and other pseudo news sites there's not a trust and to add to that the biblical form of glory especially in John's gospel right the cross is the glorification of Christ, of God that is glory and we run away from that because we are sinful creatures and we're actually not the saints we think we are. Right. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah. Well, you know, like I've been dealing with this thing in my you know, own life right now where like I, I see where the Lord wants to heal me, but mm-hmm. I'm scared of how that could like affect others, mm-hmm. either through lost relationships or um, just, you know, having I mean, like it's it's um, how do I put this? It's not like I'm a murderer. But or like like there are things that, that I need to bring to life that will then go, oh, you know, it's just it's just I'm more like that's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Killing dogs and cats isn't like murder, murder. <laughs> right, Don't worry. Right. About <laughs> Selling drugs to junior high kids. Listen, people have done far, far worse. Manson. <laughs> Uh, that one lady who was, high kids don't have souls. Yeah, <laughs> Heidi Fleiss did way they worse. They are rational things. creatures. We all know that. Um, but yeah, like, I used to be a middle school youth minister. I know that for a fact. They're way too ugly, kids. It's called axe. Use a little bit of less of it and try this extra strength deodorant. Anyways, it's like clean no, your face. Beautiful. Hey, just to let you guys know, Luke, I hope you're recording this. Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> I am. Okay, because I'm calling on my cell phone I knew, as, I I leave, as I leave you, the Reformed Baptist Church. There you go. Great. Hope I'm it went horribly. You prioritize, you prioritize that over the podcast. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We will, I'll get to it. But, like, this, like, I, I have this, I'm fierce sometimes of, like, like, it's almost like, um, I, I can't think of a real good on the biblical character that 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 like um this would apply to perhaps i'm just this like unique and screwed up but it's almost like i um i'm like i'm scared to let god in because i know what the cost of that is going to be mm-hmm. and that can be yeah, like, you're, and you're you, jonah yeah it's jonah that's straight up the biblical story of jonah he, yeah. he didn't want to be a prophet to nineveh he wanted nineveh to burn <laughs> much like someone and, else we know <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Go yeah. on, Gilmer. But unlike unlike uh unlike Daenerys Stormborn, uh he did not First burn it. Name. He went he went into the middle of the city and said, Repent or be destroyed, and they all repented, and then he gets to the end of the city and he's like, I knew you would do this, God. And then he got pissed off that God called him to do it. And uh I I, I think there always is that reluctant. I mean, Luke, the, the question is this, though. Are you Jonah, who eventually goes and does it, or are you the rich young man who is going to say, I'm just going to hold on to these things and walk away sad? Yeah. On, I'm in the process of buying a house so right now, the rich man who's going to walk away sad, but then converts. 
There we go. Ben does a loop at the end of the block. I can share. I can share a little example from my from my time in seminary. Was uh, it was my third year of theology. I applied for diaconate, and um, seminary is like, "Yep, we want you to get ordained." And I get the call from the bishop in March. And I'm expecting the ordination call. Essentially, that's that's the way it goes. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. And my bishop says, "I'm not ordaining you this summer." I was like, uh, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "I want you to go do a mission year." Now, that is devastating on so many levels. That is that is horrible to experience. That is, and it was no fun. I was miserable the whole summer because I didn't know, and I didn't know why either. I, I, it was never quite. This is a bishop from many, many times ago, but um, but I had a choice to make in that moment. Like, I even had people say, oh, go to join another diocese now. You know, this bishop doesn't get it or whatever. And, like, all these different opinions from my way. But I said, listen, I have a choice. I made a promise to obedience. Or I haven't made a promise to obedience, but I'm trying to live that now, I should say. Yeah. And I have a choice here. This is not what I wanted. But the bishop's asking me of this. And the bishop is the church localized in many ways. And whether it's just or not, I need to do this. Because the Lord is going, and I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to do good things for this. Now, the first couple of months of this mission time was really tough, but then it turned out to be this like most amazing year that now it's like I I was with the missionaries of charity for a year. Now I'm like I am a missionary of charity at heart in so many ways with Mother Teresa's spirituality. But mm. so it was a cross. It was a definite cross. It was an absolute. It was and crosses are not fun. You're often miserable. You're struggling. You're all sorts of things. But I see now. And it was actually through my diaconal ordination retreat that my priest director helped me see. Yeah, that was a cross, but look what the Lord look what the Lord did through that. And it was an amazing thing. And we just need to learn to embrace those crosses more. They're not you gotta embrace them, but they're gonna suck. And it's okay that they're gonna suck. Okay, yeah. it's my turn to do spiritual direction for Luke on the podcast, okay? Okay. <laughs> Hooray! So you did yours, I'll do mine. Um so this is something then I have me. <laughs> I'm a lay person, but I know my stuff. Wait, so is this side B still, or is this like oh, the podcast Oh, no, this now? is a full-on thing. Do you guys care if we just okay. use everything? We can I, edit I, out I, some I, stuff. Yeah, whatever. Use whatever. whatever. All right. Do whatever. Um, I was just kidding. But I think, and, and Father Harris actually heard me preach about this a little bit, and when we were hanging out in Chicago, and this has been uh, on my mind a lot, is that before Jesus tells him what he needs to do to reach perfection, it, uh, Scripture says he looked on him with love, mm. and then he tells him what he needs to do, sell everything and follow me. And then you see the rich young man, his face falls. His error is that he turns his eyes away from Christ. If he had looked up and continued looking at the face of Christ, he would have seen only love. The problem is when we ask, when God asks us to do something, a lot of times we think about the thing he asks us to do or we think about what we're going to lose. But if we lock eyes with him, that's what gives us hope and that's what allows us to carry those crosses. Now you can, I mean, you can end up exactly. like, like most of us, we end up carrying it, kicking and screaming the entire time, not getting it nearly as much merit as God would want us to have or whatever. But it's that tr- – uh, man, this is the same thing with discernment, that people get so worried about what God is asking me to do or this thing. And when it seems like over and over again in my life, and I've recognized in other people's lives as well, that the focus is God just wants to love you. Yeah. And we worry about everything else except that. And it sounds like it's really simple. But – just focus on the look of love that God is literally always giving you. Exactly. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Gomer. Okay. My turn. Uh, <laughs> picture Google right now, Pantocrator. 
and that's the real look that Christ is giving you. It's painted on the roof of the DC shrine. He is angry. You mean the Aryan Jesus? It has been dipped in the blood of sinners, and he rides forth in judgment. No, I mean the reality is like the, our whole Christian life. If you, the conflict that you're feeling, is the conflict that we always have because while we are at home in the flesh and not at home with Christ. We will always struggle with these wars of idolatry and pettiness and turning away and turning away. This is why I love being Catholic, is this notion of working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Okay. It doesn't mean I'm earning my salvation, but like you are beautifully conscious of a war going on within your members, like this war between what you you think God might be calling you to the genuine, honest fear that you have in saying yes to that call. And at the same time, the overwhelming loudspeaker of your flesh saying <laughs> no, no, no. And the amazing thing about your, the way that you kind of express this, this experience is like, there is no way out of this experience except through it. Mm -hmm. Or the abandonment of your faith, like this one woman said. Exactly. I oh, really yeah. feel like mm -hmm. I really feel like Christ is calling me to do this mortally sinful thing. Um, in this case, it was you know in vitro and all this other stuff that kind of accompanied it. And I said, I said, I understand. I, I will never understand how much sorrow you're carrying as a woman who's struggling with her pregnancy and with the inability to be pregnant. I said, but know this: when you're hanging from a cross. Every temptation to get off the cross sounds like the voice of God, right? You <laughs> yeah. you immediately want to say, oh, no, that's – I'm praying and God is telling me, yes, do this thing. But, like, mm -hmm. that is – and I told her, I said, and she's like, thank you for saying that. And I was like, no, like, it's not done. Like, you haven't died yet. <laughs> like, like, this is <laughs> – this is and, the horrible part. Yeah. You're just – you're at the second hour. We got one more full hour to go yeah. and then someone's going to break your legs. This is why I think a lot of guys who leave seminary often leave their faith. Oh, yeah. This is it right there because they've encountered their cross and they've made their choice. Man. Oh. Oh. Ooh. The, Ooh. That is mm. – Mm. I think it's true mm. for like a lot of us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> some people encountered their cross. Some people encountered uh, a weekend invitation to Uncle Ted's cabin. There are many reasons why we went to the seminary. <laughs> okay, not those. I mean, some like, people you know, had I mean, a weekend like, at Bernie's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some had a weekend at Teddy. Part two. Uh, oh, oh, oh. But no, but yeah. that like, I mean, so how this often? old skin. Stop! Stop! <laughs> wrinkly ball. Okay. Oh, 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 come on, please, dear Lord. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll edit dear that Lord. out. You're not. You're not sorry. Don't say you're sorry. Yeah. You're sorry. You're not I'm sorry, not at, sorry all. at all. I'm so happy I said that. <laughs> wrinkly balls. <laughs> oh wow. Um, so oh. long, Catholic Majeds. Um, <laughs> uh, Hello, Napa Institute. <laughs> yeah, seriously, all the neo gods have come running towards us. Um, no, it. Uh, so, like, I think one big cross that a lot of people uh, with in the lady have who work who um, work for the church quite often that like the cross can be their priest, like their um, pastor, because that that obedience part within any other job that 
you know, like you, you kind of start to like not like um, rebel against your boss, but kind of like make noise like, hey, this is a really bad idea. Like, you know, like he'll eventually uh, get fired if he's like, I'm sinking the ship or something <laughs> um, like that. And, and and at the parish that like, you know, um, hardly ever happens. And so like I, I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is I would love to hear on um, you guys's perspective of um, of a priest like what should a layperson do when their boss is a um, priest and their priest is making all these bad these bad like decisions not in terms of like the faith but just in terms of like as a boss management yeah just from a management perspective this is tough because i've got a lot of friends in ministry who have to deal with this stuff and a lot of times what you're dealing with is not the priest as priest, but the priest as a man with a very fragile ego or with just bad ideas. Um, well, like if I was doing, I mean, if I was doing something stupid in the parish, not like malicious, not like, but just running things the wrong way. Um, I think I would want people to like approach me, like, like have a meeting with me and ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, cause maybe I'm just a big dumb dumb. I haven't even thought about it. So like even just getting me to talk about it might be helpful. Um, and to, to approach it from that kind of perspective, uh, man, whenever I tell people how to coach talking to priests, it always makes me feel kind of icky because like managing up is kind of a thing that makes me feel icky. Cause you have to like, kind of like be careful about people's egos and, and you shouldn't anyway. So do that. And from that context, I think you say, well, then you can bring in your own evidence and talk to them about what will work and what wouldn't work. But I think asking them why they're doing what they're doing and where they've seen it work or something like that, I think that's helpful or a helpful way to go about it. Because then it's not confrontational. You're going to them uh, as a superior and saying, well, it, explain this to me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, like, and are, are we talking about like the priest is just making like really bad decisions or the people think the priest is making bad decisions? Um, that's a really, Cause that's a difference. That's yeah, a difference. Yeah. I think quite often it's, it's a bit of both, okay. you know, where, um, from what I've seen and just within my, um, within my own experience, the priest means well, quite often yeah. he's pulled in 20 different directions. And yeah. so he's not as um, present as a boss really should be. Or mm-hmm. as you would like, because he just can't, you know, he's got to, mm-hmm. he has to go and um, do a marriage prep and do, you know, all mm-hmm. these different things. You're like, well, I would like to be able to, uh, you know, like, um, work with you on, you know, like, you don't know what I'm doing half the time. And then mm-hmm. it's when they interject and you kind of have to do um, what they say because they have that spiritual um, authority Mm-hmm. But they don't really quite understand what you are um, doing or what is really um, going on. But you have to respect yeah. their opinion. So, and at times they're right, but at times they can be pretty wrong. And there's this element of you feel like you can't push back because they're a priest. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's uh, yeah because it, because it's almost like yeah. you're, you're like you're not allowed to quote unquote to get out behind closed doors. Right. You know, so and I think like I, I agree with, with Father Anthony, right? Like the first thing it's and it's the Matthew eighteen principle, right? If you have a if your brother sinned against you or you have a problem with your brother, whatever it is, you go talk to them about it directly. Um and I mean maybe it's about then the next step of okay, we as a like minded group of the church think this is a really, really bad idea. Um and these are our reasons why. 
and they go talk to the priest together like that, right? And then if that doesn't work and you feel like there's something that's going to be really detrimental to the parish um, financially or whatever it might be, then I think you do have that duty because you've done your due diligence to do things on that lower level that you then bring it to, you bring, as Jesus says, you bring the church involved, you get the church involved. And uh, maybe it means writing the diocese about it, right? Um, uh, And that's that's okay. I mean, like, but there's also like, we shouldn't make every decision to be like it's, um, to see it as if it's a life-changing thing for the parish, you know? If Father's going to change something in the sanctuary, even if you talk to him about it and you, and you don't like the decision he comes to, that is not worth writing the diocese over, for example. Um, while Father, but here's the other thing. I mean, this is hard because at the same time, it's like it's actually really hard for priests to do things like on the financial level that would be a detriment to the parish. Because like in my diocese, anything over, I think it's canonical anyways, anything over $5,000 requires approval of the finance committee to be spent. I can't just go spend that by myself. Hmm. So it's really hard. It's really hard for the priests to go and anything over $10,000 requires diocesan approval. But uh, here's the thing with, uh, when you said, you know, you're not allowed to duke it out with the priest. I think, it's the same as any relationship. In any relationship, you have to earn the right. You have to yeah. earn the right to beat up your friends, right? Because yeah. you have to kind of be your friends on some sort of level. Hey, um, so uh, like there are people who, if they came into my office, I need to talk to you and start telling me how I did everything wrong. I, I would be comfortable having an argument with them. Mm-hmm. There are other people who are like, no, we have you haven't earned the right to talk to me like that. I think that's the mm-hmm. same with like any relationship. Uh, so while the priest can't know, I think this is this is definitely a priests, especially pastor's duty. He can't know everything that's going on in the parish, but he should mm-hmm. definitely know the people who he has placed in care of his parish. Yeah. So whatever ministers, secretaries, all that, like he should be really good at those relationships yeah. so that communication can happen. And, and here's the other thing too. It's like people like, I think Father Anthony's point about building relationships is really important because people love to come and complain to the priest or ask him to do things. Yeah, but they don't do anything to actually build up a relationship with you. I've, I've had people come into my parish and say, I want you to do this, Father, or I want you to do this for this reason or whatever, but they still haven't invited me over to their house to get to know them. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, or they want something changed. And I'm like, well, why don't you join that? Well, no, no, I don't want to join it. Well, then it's not. I'm not going to be like this hard-handed guy who's going to go in and change things. You just want me to do the easy thing because you don't actually want to do the work to see this changed, yeah. right? Um, so there's like there there's gradations of levels, and it's it's it is. I think it's really hard for a priest to. I, I mean, like, for me personally, I think it's not even in financial decisions. It's in aggressive and quick moves to change a parish that is so contrary to the grain of a culture, and it goes too quickly that it would actually make most people leave the church, that's when things are getting bad. And that's, to be honest, I don't know. My experiences, at least in my diocese, that's pretty rare. I think um, it, when I really stop thinking about it, like in the, especially in the context of this conversation, yeah, I think the bulk of, um, uh, of like lay people's issues with their, like, again, these are people who work, um, who work, um, for the church in some capacity, it's mm-hmm. that they don't really feel um, known by their by their priest because, um, mm-hmm. and that can be just for a variety of reasons. Um, he's not, you know, he just, you know, there is 
the classic. I I, I did not get into in this, you know, into this um vocation to be a a um manager. I want to be a pastor. There's I'm pulled in twenty different directions, you know. And so you just kind of you like have this breakdown of like I don't have a lot of goals. I don't like you, you just don't really like you you really aren't known by the priest on really any level. Right. You know, so either both like one as as a another person and two within the context of your job. And so right. you're just kind of there. Yeah, and I I would say I would just add to that too, too. But my I think my experience is that at least in my diocese, again, this is where it made it hard for me to speak to that. We are so small; it's impossible for the priest to not know each and one of his staff and to work with them closely. It's like, like our biggest parish in our diocese has one, two, three, four employees. Oh, wow. oh my <laughs> god! So the idea of that's like adorable. not so the idea of not and that and that's that's our cathedral with with about 2000 families. Um, so in we're tiny not, town. Good yeah. In tiny town. Yes. Yeah, so that, so it's actually a good thing in that sense. Like I know my Bishop probably better than most guys in the world who know, know their bishops because we're that small. My Bishop stayed with me for three days a few weeks ago. Um, wow. which is a really beautiful thing, right? Yeah. I mean, and I got to know him in a beautiful way. And I think, I, and I think, so I think that lay desire for that is a good thing. It's actually that desire for localness, and and that we maybe we've allowed the church sometimes to get so big that we forget that and we lose that and it gets hard to foster that because in my diocese actually that's maybe one of our strengths it's actually really easy to foster that because it's impossible to be invisible to your pastor when are we gonna talk about me oh. hi michael how to hey go <laughs> why are so, you talking to baptists yeah uh that's so, illegal what are you doing <laughs> what a waste of no. time I know, I know. No, I was so scared, guys, because I went to go talk to a deacon of a Reformed Baptist church. Really good dude, solid dude. Uh, he denies the church, uh, obviously the Catholic church, and uh, he's a he's a hardcore tulip tulip believer, um, which is the five points of Calvinism. And oh my goodness, did I over prepare? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You only wrote a pamphlet. I I added Easy 10 Thomas more Payne. pages. <laughs> I added ten more pages uh, to it today after the prison ministry. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. What was the opportunity but cost of that? Seven. <laughs> <laughs> so no, man, it was it was good. it was totally worth it because it trained my brain. It trained my brain. Um, but uh, basically, all it is is Bible quotes and catechism quotes about the nature of salvation, justification, faith, and works. You know all that stuff. And because uh, that was what we wanted to talk about. You want to talk about personal salvation and the nature of the church. It was fascinating because I was I was like, OK, well, you know, we're about to get into the whole faith and works thing. And he says, there's nothing you can do before or after faith in terms of works that adds to anything. And I said, OK, well, here's my position. And I want I want to hear like your response on this. Every single time in the New Testament, whether you're talking about the Gospels, Epistle of Paul, Peter, the book of Revelation, whenever the end of the world, the judgment day is mentioned, judgment is 100% of the time, without exception in the New Testament, based on works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said, how, how do you square that with <laughs> your that, belief? preacher man. <laughs> and and he, do, he was like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't believe that. And I'm like, what? 
It's in scripture. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm I'm showing you something <laughs> that I might I'm open to saying I'm interpreting this wrong. But yeah. when Matthew 25 says sheep, goats, the righteous are the ones who served me in serving the poor. Yeah. The unrighteous, even though they call Jesus Lord, Lord, are condemned to eternal conscious torment in hell because they are unrighteous because they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Then doesn't that sound like salvation is contingent upon works? Oh, no, 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 no. See, if God elected you, then you, that's it. But. Right, because it's just it's. I see what they're doing. It's kind of a circular reasoning, but I've yeah. I've had this gone to the same argument, where it's just like, oh no, no, no because of course you're doing the works because you already have the faith, and that's it becomes like equivalent, right? Is that what yeah, he's saying? So, he's saying something even less than that. I think honestly, he was that he was saying less than that, but the idea ultimately came out that well, if you are an elect of God, eventually you'll put aside the works of darkness and start practicing the fruits. And I said, but it's even worse than that because. If you believe in divine election that happened from all eternity before I ever did something, which, I mean, Catholics, we believe that, but to a different degree. Um, the idea is if I'm a porn addict and the Catholic Church were saying you're committing mortal sin or grave sin, it might not be mortal, but um, you're committing a serious sin. You need repentance. You need to daily walk with Christ. You need to go to counseling. You need to do whatever you need to do. Get your shit together. <laughs> right. But many people within this Calvinism or even the hardcore Lutheranism will say is like Luther had this book called Bondage of the Will, which he thought was his greatest book. And then he says, we're a beast that either God or the devil is riding our back. We don't get to decide which direction. Mm -hmm. Grace is irresistible. Mm -hmm. So this guy's like, well, I'm addicted to porn. I can't stop porn, but I love Jesus. This must mean that even though I love Jesus, I don't really love him because I don't really have faith because I'm not one of the elect because I'm still doing these works of darkness. And they'll abandon their faith because they think that they've abandoned God or God never elected them. And I'm like, oh, man, I had a conversation with a guy. He asked for a priest and because priests show up and sometimes other denominations they don't or they can't. And he was literally on his deathbed struggling with this very thing, with a sin that he was you know, habitually engaging in and just despairing that God would not save him. Even though he loved Jesus, because of this sin he he perpetually was in, he was despairing. And there was, like, nothing... It was so tough, because you want to give them... I mean, I told him, I you know talked with them, but, like, it's, it's a really sad place to be in. Yeah. It... It the conversation was, went well, though. I had oh, fun. Oh, good. That, that's good. good. I had fun. We, I, guess, I just, I was like, he would make a general reference to a scripture verse, and I had that verse, chapter, verse memorized. And be like, <laughs> oh, you're referencing Galatians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Now, what Paul says, and it, well, I just had fun. Oh, man, I was worried <laughs> about nothing. <laughs> yeah, Luke, and I did it. Luke, I, just I find did it, our Yeah. I was just going to say, this is what I find interesting. I mean, like, again, Different context for Canada, we don't have the same things around like evangelicalism like you guys down do down there. It's just not really as existent up here. But um, I always find it so interesting because like in the end, they act so many so many times is that they actually care more about their little system and they have to keep it whole because if they actually take scripture seriously, it's actually going to undermine their system and their form of belief. I, and I, I just think, you know I think they would say that it all logically follows. If you can hold the first thing, everything follows from it, which is salvation by faith alone. I didn't do anything to earn it. Mm-hmm. So I can't do anything to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And once you start there, then, you know, then you have 
the guy that we were doing it in front of the student son, who's a great guy. He was like, so you're telling me I can murder people all the time. And I got a capital E on my ledger. Therefore, vis-a-vis concordantly, I'm going to heaven no matter what. And the guy's like, well, yeah, but I also believe that you'll stop doing those things mm-hmm. if you really are the elect. Right. And it's like, well, now you're just playing games with people's heart. Like, how yeah. do they really know? Well, they have to do the works that befit repentance. Well, what if they did it for the first two years of their life? And then they walked away from it because the red solo cup lifestyle in college seemed to them to be more important and more alluring. Well, mm-hmm. then they never believed in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not true. They truly believed. Mm-hmm. So it fascinates me, all this yeah. discussion. Yeah. So I won't bore you, Luke, but I will say, Luke, mm-hmm. I used your method. I 100% use your method. Which one? The- so he said uh, we were talking about uh uh, the church, he switched it to church authority and goes, uh, answer me this question about the church. Uh, you believe in a very hierarchical church and we believe in a very like flat church. There's Christ who's the head of the church and then, you know, preachers, teachers, office holders, whatever. We're all just flat. And I go, he goes, what, whoa, how would you say that? And I was like, okay. <clears throat> I said, this might be the most uh, charged statement I make, but I said, Jesus Christ did, is not a founder of, uh, or is not the founder of a world religion. He didn't start this thing called Christianity. Jesus Christ started the church and he built it upon himself as the cornerstone, but also on the 12 apostles. And I was like, and that is the one true church that then passed down to the apostle successors, the bishops and the priests and all this stuff. But I was like, okay, Gormley, state your provocative statement, follow it up with a statement, and then ask him a question. Three point rule. That's the three-point rule. Thanks. And then he interrupted me before I asked the question. <laughs> Fun times. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we did have a point to uh, – well, there was some point in having all of you guys on here besides just us yeah. peacocking. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm drawing – Look at my feathers. Look at my feathers. <laughs> I'm, I am drawing a blank, though. That's what the point was. I think I'm a father Harrison. We- you had a thing, right? Yeah, we were just, we were, Father Anthony, and I were talking, we were, we were in Chicago, with, or no, a few weeks ago, we were talking about this about, yeah. like, the relationship, like, the professionalization of lay ministry, mm. right? And, which is not always a bad thing, but, like, like how, or maybe I'd even call it, like, the careerification of it sometimes, and, like, uh, and the, we were, and we thought, well, we should, we were thinking about talking about this, and we're like, no, no, that's not a good idea. We should actually talk to people. We're actually in lay ministry, and but since you guys are clerics, we obviously can't have you on our podcast, yeah, right, uh, right. because we're, it's clericalism, pure and simple. Fair. Uh, so we thought, hey, well, we'll invade their podcast, and we were like, we are benevolent podcast leaders. We'll have you on. <laughs> <laughs> that is the correct response. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I guess yeah. So I don't know. Father, if you want to maybe lead off the question, yeah, that, or, well, yeah, yeah, something. So actually, I was uh, talking to my spiritual director about this because um, he was bringing up. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in my diocese. So we're closing down churches and all this stuff. Uh, we just what diocese know, is that? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. What? There's nothing crazy going on in Pittsburgh, right? Nothing. I know so many things, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the short version is, you know, we're uh, consolidating things. There was a bunch of different movements of free, like every priest pretty much moved. And so it's very, very difficult for the people. And like for some people, they had a priest who was really dynamic, charismatic preacher. And now they don't have a priest who's a dynamic, charismatic preacher. And this is adding to their pain and their 
going to their churches or writing to the bishop saying, hey, can we have a better preacher and this sort of thing? And while it's good to have a dynamic speaker, preacher, this sort of thing, it got me thinking that isn't this kind of a Protestant way to look at, one, the Mass, but also this kind of emphasis on good speaking and having speakers and how that's such a part of Catholic Church culture today. Yes. Is this too much a Protestant thing that we've adopted, that we have to have good, entertaining, uh, intelligent speakers? Yes. And are we and focusing too much fees. on that? And yes. the excessive fees. The excessive fees. Right. And and we have to pay them all sorts of money to do this, too. Yes. Uh, $5,000 for a weekend and stuff like that. How much? I've heard of her speakers asking for $5,000 to do a weekend conference. Oh, okay. Whew, I'm under that. Nailed it. <laughs> okay. You're good. You're good. You're good. We're almost there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I want to start. Let me just start on the on the priest part. Like, I think yeah. there's a profound and I, I mean, I myself had a and continue to have a profound um, misunderstanding of what mass is. And it really mm-hmm. wasn't until probably maybe two to two to three years ago when I did a catechetical mass here um, at um, St. Gertrude's Church out in Cincinnati that like this priest really like he kind of like opened the mass up in a way that I was like, I think I just um, needed a person to like explain it to me. I'm um, um, like that in a group of like five people who have been into the stuff for a very, very um, long time who could just mm-hmm. ask questions and break down like what's really going on here. And I was like, holy shit, I had no idea. (laughs) You you know, I just, I have some like vague idea, but not like, you know, not this. And um, I think most people view mass as church. Um, And then we say, you know, we like, I'm gonna read all the books and we say, oh no, because I've read the Lamb's Um Supper and all that stuff. But um, until you really pray with that, and really prayerfully try to understand what mass is, mm-hmm. uh, and like allow the and like ask the Lord to reveal that to you. There's just no way you can't I'm gonna view it through the eyes of a Protestant service, which is a big Bible study. I'm not saying yeah, right. with like great music. I'm not saying that that's mm-hmm. even bad. Um, I think I think that stuff can be really good. Um, in fact, I would. Lo- anyways, well, that's a whole. That's a whole other thing. But I think the mass in and of itself, the most important part is a priest who prays it well, and who mm-hmm. prays it earnestly. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gormley. <sighs> And you're going to have a little um, bit of a different take on this, which is why I wanted to start. Everyone take a seat. Talk. Everyone take a seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare yourselves. Uh, all right. Um, St. John Chrysostom, upon leaving his <laughs> diocese, said, you don't want priests, you want orators. Uh, what? No, it's just, uh, I have I thought know. it just burst into my brain about something. Keep going. Keep going. You're doing fine. <laughs> Sorry, that was not helpful audio. <laughs> wow, that was the most pandering statement you could ever say as a priest. You're doing fun. Good for you. Pat you on the head. No, no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I remember what I was going to say. I remember what I was going to say. I'm totally interrupting you. You're about to go on this whole discourse. Um, and this is also a way for me to brag about myself while trying to get to a point uh, is that I preached Holy Thursday, uh, a big 
homily because with everything that's been going on in my diocese and then just the church in the last year and the PA grand jury report and those were our priests in that report uh it was like this holy thursday really want to be honest with people really want to you know do this homily well and i did and you know praise god it went well so many people have been asking me if i could give that talk again or uh, have you recorded that? Or can you send that to that? If you just sent this talk or this homily to my son or if someone could just hear it, then everything would be better. But I'm thinking more and more that good preaching isn't actually as helpful in converting people as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Because especially like a homily like that, a homily like when people's first thought is I wish everyone could hear this, that's not the point of a homily. The point of homily is for you right there. It needs to be something sacramental. And I don't know if people are allowing that a homily to be a liturgical thing, but also I sort of despair a little bit at good preaching. I don't know how many hearts it changes. And I know, ah, man, I feel bad saying that, but part of me feels like maybe we overemphasize this. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just wondering if I can talk now without being. <laughs> so the thing is, finally, someone to put Father Anthony's place. Um, Thank you, Queen Targaryen, the first of her name, the breaker of chains, the Mad Queen. Anywho, sorry, the, the Queen no, of Ashes. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, okay. When it comes to the liturgy, I always tell people the homily and the music are the least important things that happen at a mass. Um, but I will say this uh, in terms of now that we're focusing on priest homilies and stepping away from professional speech. I know. We're making well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tie it back. But <clears throat> I think you're right that we have adopted in the Catholic Church a very Protestant mindset of preach to me what I want to hear. Or preach to me, not what I want to hear, but um, what, what I came here for, yeah, was I want to be moved preaching. by that, yeah. Yeah, and part of it is... Part of it is because, you know, to get all crazy, is that Cartesian dualism working its way into the Catholic Church like it did liberal Protestantism, where it's all about the experience. And you hear this from comments of Protestants who say things like, he really brought the word, he was on fire, there was this, I felt that was really anointed. They use scriptural language to describe an interior state of how they received, you know, whatever. Um, And this is hitting the Catholic Church, usually through the more liberal side of... um, of like religious experience. What did this make me experience? How did I feel? What's my inward state? I was going to the prison today and one of uh, one of my friends called me up, listener to the show, Ryan. And we were just talking about different things from this book. And the whole thing was, it wasn't about Jesus's objective nature. It was about the subjective or theology was about exploring the subjective experience of faith. And I just like hated that description. Preach so it. that being said, that being Preach said, it. Um, (laughs) the word is meant to be preached, to be proclaimed from the mountaintops, the hilltops, it's, and especially from the pulpits. And when priests suck at proclaiming the word of God, number one, they're not trying hard enough. Number two, maybe they just suck and that's not their gift. Okay. But that's one of their duties. So then you build the skill set in order to deliver something that makes the mass you know, whatever helps me participate more in the sacrifice of the lamb, helps me participate Mm -hmm. more in my Christian faith, educates me in something that matters. Platitudes combined with a weak 
toast, milk toast uh, summary of the gospel is not preaching the gospel. It is a joke, and you should yep. shut your mouth and sit the hell down and quit boring everyone with your nothingness. Yes. The congregation would be better if these priests shut up and deacons. Don't let me leave them out, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> but on top of this, don't forget that our faith is one of preaching, right? It is yeah. It is part of the—I mean, the very word— Kerygma, I mean, is the proclamation of the gospel. And I think as a Catholic church, the other problem that we have is we want entertaining preachers. We don't want preachers. We want rhetoricians. Exactly. We want people that exactly. can spin a good story and make me feel good about myself. And <laughs> let's go get some coffee and talk about that funny line that Father said. Yeah. What so, people need, they are starving for the truth. Yeah. And the homily is the one freaking time when you can give it to them and they will listen. And what you're going to do is, is not do that. Who do you think you are? The skull or the path to hell is paved with the skulls of priests. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. And preaching is your responsibility. Oh, I don't have a talent for it. Well, guess what? I don't have a talent for doing my taxes, but I got to figure that shit hey. out. Exactly. And, 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 and I don't have a talent. Account. No, I'm not done yet, Father. I don't have a talent to make <laughs> sweet, sweet love to my wife, but I figure that out. That. <laughs> I don't have a talent for mowing my lawn, but I figure that stuff out. You're a dad of the church. Yeah, I may forget to feed my kids, but I still have to wake up in the morning. <laughs> no, feed my kids, tend my sheep feed them with the word both sacramentally and scripturally I, so i've been really into evangelization in the modern world by pope saint paul the sixth who i know isn't everyone some like i get it a lot of people don't unlike him whatever um but it's a fascinating <laughs> document and one of the things oh, that, yeah, that great. He, like he kind of paints um preaching as like the quarterback of a really good nfl team like you're not going to win without it, but you can't just rely on. Uh, sorry, uh, on Father uh, Harrison. The NFL is the biggest sport in the world. I, sorry, in the world I mean, here <laughs> in the United <laughs> States. Yeah, you sucks. Sucks. I know you have your Canadian NHL stuff. NHL is way way better. We oh, all know this. It sure is. It should. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a I'm a I'm a huge soccer fan, <laughs> so it's fine. Sorry, I was a dumb joke. Anywho, um, and I, I think like. I think the I, so Gomer, I agree with you, but I think there's this. There's just this weird emphasis, thanks rebuild, that if we just were to yep. fix homilies, everything everything um would be yep. fine. And I, I just don't think like there I care way more about a priest's uh prayer life than his homily skills, yes. than his homiletic yes. skills. Yes. And and kind of like going back to um going back to evangelization in the modern world, if you aren't doing these other things if you aren't like you know um accepting signs entering into a community like if you're not uh, allowing the gospel to renew your only humanity your preaching is worthless yep and so it's not necessarily the skills i though i think those those um basic um human traits are important but it's all those like other um, other things that like work a long um with that that is what makes it work. Like I think the the power of Father Mike, the power of Father like Mike, the power of Father Mike Schmitz is. I mean, yes, he's a, like a great speaker, but he is he 
That's who he is. It's his authentic witness. He's the same on stage, off stage, a really nice guy who loves God and people, who happens to be really good at good at speaking. Like that's the power of 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 his witness. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that a priest can't be a good preacher of the gospel. They could be a good speaker. But not a good preacher of the gospel unless he is at the very least repenting often, if not strongly praying and immersing himself in the word. I was just at the prison today um, and I said, uh, I said, listen, I know that you guys, you know, some of y'all have a lot of time on your hands and they kind of laughed at that. And I said, but please don't call yourself a Catholic if you're not going to pray through scripture all the time. Like. I, I'm not like that's the only devotion you could do, but I'm in the context of what we were talking about. It made sense. And I'm just like, you, you can't do this. Like you can't do this thing called the Christian life and not look to Christ as the leader and perfecter of your faith, both through scripture and through uh, prayer. And you're right, Luke. Like if you aren't praying, I, I care more about the priest prayer life than I do the priest preaching ability. But I think the preaching ability flows forth from a conviction, both Mm-hmm. intellectual and uh, willful that that the gospel is true. And when I hear consistently Roman Catholic priests or Roman Catholic deacons who give me a pleasant summary of what they think is an acceptable version of the gospel instead of the gospel, I realize that man's not preaching because mm-hmm. that man's not praying. That man's not sacrificing for his family. Yeah. So... Um, I have so many thoughts. Um, we'll take two. <laughs> okay. Well, the first one is like, I, for my own experience of preaching first, like just, it is, I will say it is hard. Like you get excited about it. Your first couple of years of priesthood, it gets really hard to come up with something fresh all the time, but that can only come when you have a time of life of prayer. But even then sometimes like you're like struggling. Okay, Lord, I'm listening. Uh, but I'm bringing anything. So, but the two points, okay. So two points. Um, first is, the beautiful thing is, is that the sacrament of orders works precisely the most through your nothingness. This is a point Ratzinger makes a lot. Uh, he says, no man can under his own power say your sins are forgiven or through his own words say, this is my body. And it's actually precisely out of that, that nothingness that the apostles have their power. Right. And, and he goes, that's we, we have a term for that in the church. We call it sacrament. And so the priest has that sacrament of orders. And so precisely through your nothingness, that is precisely where Christ is going to do your work. So, yeah, you might be a lousy, you might be a lousy, like, orator, but you can still be a good preacher. Like, like St. John Henry Newman, or soon to be St. John Henry Newman, was apparently one of the dullest people to ever listen to. But people would travel from all over England to listen to him preach. So that's my first point. Second point is when you preach the gospel, people actually, they don't realize they want it. When you actually really preach it, they want it. Like I gave a, I gave a really hard homily on gossip one Sunday, and I was like terrified. You can ask Father Anthony. I was like sweating bullets because I'm like I'm coming hard on this one. Like I wasn't wagging the finger, but I was being a dad. Like I was being a father to these people, and I said this has to stop now. And how sad it would be for people to go to hell over their tongue. Um. It was my most well-received homily I've ever given because I think they recognize it also came out of a place of love too, right? Hmm. But it was the gospel. 
like I'm preaching the gospel to you. This is what gossip is. This is what it looks like. This is how you can overcome it in your life. Um, this is what you, these are the signs you need to look out for. This is why it's really dangerous to, and this is why you need to avoid it. I, I was like really shocked because like we, we are, you're told over and over again, if you preach hard truth, sometimes people are going to come after you. They're going to leave the church, et cetera. My experience has been actually the opposite. When you preach the hard stuff, yeah, you might have the one or two people who are going to rebel, but more, mostly people actually want to hear it and they don't, and they start to realize, wait, that's actually what I want to hear in a homily. Okay. Two points done. Okay. Yeah. So what was I going to say? Something. Who, what, what dumbass <laughs> in your homiletics courses told you just make three points and then exit after nine. Oh, because they're managing, they're managing bad preaching. That's what all that's about. The yeah. advice about keeping it eight minutes, about three points is just to try to manage bad preaching. So at the very least, make it Fair somewhat point. coherent and keep it short. That's what they're trying to do with those <laughs> advice, with that advice. Hmm. Man, I'll tell you, you know what? I want to hear a bunch of nothing for eight minutes. No, I want to hear something that at the very least makes me go, oh, wow. Never think of that before. You know, oh, wow, I need to change some things. But Who reaches for change? Yeah. Well, here's my question, though, because I'm trying to figure out and working from my own very subjective experience about this, about um, hearing a lot of compliments for my preaching, but then wondering why not everyone's a bunch of saints. So one of that is just my pride, <laughs> and I, you don't see like the fruits <laughs> of what happens. Um, uh, but also, I'm wondering if bad preaching actually kind of stuffs up your ears uh, when good preaching happens. Mm -hmm. That you're so used to ignoring the homily on some level yeah. that it then yeah. becomes difficult to really listen when someone is preaching well. Mm -hmm. I, I do think there also is a little bit, so uh, I go to a priest here, so for, so for everyone who, um, who thinks that I'm like, I'm very against rad trats. I probably go to the Tradius parish in my diocese. And uh, the priest is a Filipino priest who has these really great homilies. But I mean, to be blunt, there are times I just can't understand him. And it's called, and I have to like really engage. And it's great. He has, he has great stuff. I would say he's awesome, but I kind of have to work at it. And there are times when I do think that sometimes us like 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 us like lady just want to be spoon fed everything as opposed yeah. to really having to wrestle with it. So like even if you have a quote unquote bad preacher, do you understand what his points are? Mm -hmm. Can you maybe try to overcome that a little bit? And that can get exhausting. I get it. Us like ease um ease especially if you have a thousand things that are going on with like you know your own life or are your kids at mass or like whatever you know. But yeah. I think. At times, I'm like, can we? Like, I I feel that I need to work at it a little bit. I just love how we came to talk about lay people, and now they're yeah. dunking on priests. Isn't that great? <laughs> that lay, the laity, man. Can you believe this, Step Brother Anthony? I'm, uh, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's almost like we got a chip on our shoulder because of the last year or something. Listen, yeah, I know. Now, like, I, feel, ah, like, I know. Huh? I know you're not yelling at me, but it feels like you're yelling at me a little bit. <laughs> I just have to change your tone. That'd be helpful. Hey, I just want to let you know two things. Number one, they tell you, Father, nice homily, even if it was a bomb. Right. Yeah. They will tell you that no matter what. You're the CEO of Church Incorporated, man. You don't tell the boss that he's a, he gave a stinker of a homily. Right. But I will tell you this. Your response needs to be, OK, what specifically yeah. about and just watch the blood drain from their face? Because mm -hmm. I do this as a speaker. People are like, man, that was a great talk. And I go, 
Okay, that's great. What specifically did I say that you felt like moved you or made meant something to you or made sense to you or something? And half the time people be like, uh, well, that story was funny. You're like, damn it. Okay. The other thing I would say is I think you're right. Bad homilies block the ability, the receptivity, because it's, uh, it's like putting, uh, basically the, the soil that you're sowing the seed out into, right? It's like someone came right behind you has been throwing rock chunks in the soil the whole time. <laughs> And you got to go full. What's the woman's name? Uh, Flannery O'Connor on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be like, hey, so I saw, saw this guy get his head blown off with a shotgun. Yeah. And the person that did it turned to me and said, Grace, I need Grace. And then you're like, ah, shotgun. And I think I think you're dead and, on there because and to see. because what's at, what's at the heart. Uh, and I think with so much bad preaching and, and kind of what I would even call like lazy um incredibly lazy spiritual fatherhood in the priesthood has, has war has brought about in the laity is we've got, we've got such an acediac church, like a like acedia has overtaken the church to such a massive degree that you, you can give the best homilies and they're going to be deaf to it. Not because of anything you're doing, but because they've been so um, they've been given so much junk that they've just presumed junk is what they're, it's like, you know, instead of giving, you know, use the Christopher West example, right? It's instead of having the keg, they've been having McDonald's all the time. And who are you? Who are you using a Christopher West? I know. I'm sorry. Just say, just forgive me. Okay. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
it was a thousand other things. But in my experience, and I think more and more as I talk to other guys, the point of seminary was not to be a holy priest. It was to be a normal priest, a healthy priest, a smart like priest. Psychologically but, adjusted priest. Right. Yes, all of that, but not yeah. a right. holy priest. And the guys who strive for holiness, a lot of times that was either seen rightly or wrongly as people who were very sort of trad and not in tune with their human things. So a lot of times that would be squashed. There was like kind of a fear of devotionalism, kind of a fear of uh, focusing on holiness because you, you can't qualify that. You can't test that. You can't measure that. So it was just not touched. And then on top of that, the seminary system is an academic, a Western academic system, which I don't think is conducive to forming human beings. So I think you have all that going on. And so then guys get ordained and then they have a job to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is. It's a job to do in so many ways. So preaching is a skill that you have or you don't have. It's not something that's inflamed by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's coming from your prayer, because when is there time to pray anyway? If you're not a busy priest, you're not a good priest. I think there's a huge, huge, like bad preaching is a symptom of this huge cultural problem, woundedness, not problem, woundedness uh, in the priesthood. If only there was a book that like could give us the four pillars of a Catholic that these priests could use that would make them oh um what's the word for the kind of um Catholic I'm trying to say not an energetic maybe Maybe someone more I'm thinking of like dynamite yeah but not a dynamite dynamite Catholic (laughs) dynamic Uh, that's right a dynamic (laughs) and if I could be full of shit. And sell that book <laughs> and have a non like wh- think of what I could do for the church and the th- people I could inspire to make a career out of this and then fire them because I'm garbage. That's a great plan. I think you can make a wow. lot of money doing that. That sounds so vague, though. I don't know anyone you're talking about who's energetic Catholic. <laughs> Give me your money. All right. So time to switch tables then, because like, yeah, let's talk okay. about that, because this is like this is, I think, on the flip side, I think this is some of the times my fear is people are making the church an opportunity to make money out of it. Yup. Mm-hmm. It's not the new evangelization. And- Unless you're making money off the Patreon.com. Exactly. Um, you know, I've heard of I, I, I've had conversations with people where they're telling me, oh, yeah, this person will take this job, but only for X amount of money. And I'm like, and it was very high. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to betray the conversation. But it was a very high number that really shocked me. And I'm like, now I, I agree that we need to give living wages, obviously, in the church. I think that's something we've been really bad about. And I believe we do need to hire lay people. Um, to do the work because we do lack priests. But um, there is just, um, there's this, uh, I have so many opinions on this. Like first, it's like sometimes I think people see lay ministry as an excuse that I can work for the church. I can do priestly things without being a priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, that scares me sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, just using the church as this place to make money. I'm going to be this professional speaker. I'm going to have, um, I'm going to do all these things and I want to just use it to make money because I want to make money off the church. And, and I just, I guess I see that as like a very Protestant form in some ways. Like, I, and like, like Father Anthony was saying earlier, I just see that kind of creeping in where, where we become about the speakers and the famous Catholics and all this stuff. And I'm like, 
this is dangerous. This is like and, – and it promotes an anti-sacramental vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually had a really good uh, conversation about this over the weekend uh, with this guy who was – who like had in his heart to do some really big, big stuff and he wanted to take it national. You know, he hadn't really even begun uh, to do it yet, but he wanted to and, – and, like, it was a good idea. But, he, you know, he was like, and then if, like, on this goes well, I can scale and I can, like, tell people how to do this. And I was like, oh, dude, that's so dangerous. No, that is not of God. Stop right now. <laughs> and I could see his face. He's like, wait, what? Why? This is good. Yeah. And I think there's um, – our interaction with God should always be a response. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anytime we want to do ministry on a large scale, it should always be because God is calling us into that or he is moving us towards that. So there's – And I sort of feel along with that, we should be resisting that as well just to test it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I like um, – I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that was the thing that like I said that I wasn't very – confident about while i was i'm talking to this guy and i said like i would encourage you to give that back to god because mm-hmm. we've certainly fallen into that temptation i think with our podcast start a podcast network do a bunch of new shows can we try to make this our um, uh, jobs you know and like i think we still i would like to do a um, couple of those things but is this us or is this you know god i'm um, is this him um, leading us towards these things here right and now it's tough because, as a layperson who exists in you know like who I'm not saying that I'm a Catholic speaker, but we're going to Wisconsin on Thursday, so and we are, are getting paid, right. and I'm going because we're getting paid, you know, like and I'm I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to do what we're going to do. We're doing a, it's not like we are I'm preaching per se, but we're getting paid as um, Catholic people to come to to talk to Catholics about Catholic stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the problem, part of the problem is we want successful parishes. Exactly. We don't want holy parishes or like you're, you have a conference and so you're the conference. You want a successful conference, not a holy conference, a successful one. And the measure of success is if you raise enough money to get a big name speaker. So it becomes an event. So your parish becomes an event. And then people leave with a vague, positive experience. Look at it. Look at what this parish did you are now a successful parish. And I've seen that, you know, in my diocese and I've heard stories as well. And then as soon as that parish or that conference or whatever you're doing receives a cross, they fall to pieces and they fall to vice because that's not success. The cross isn't success. I think part of the problem with our wanting to hire speakers is not getting the right person to speak to the right topic. It's we want to be successful. Mm-hmm. So do you think is it does the problem come down to the speaker or is it the expectations placed on bringing the speaker in what we think it's going to do or is it some mixture of both because those are yeah. two different things like, like I mean because like I, I, I we've had these these conferences and stuff in our diocese we haven't had anyone any of them for a while now to be honest but um, my experience has been. I haven't seen them bear a ton of fruit, honestly. Yeah. Um, I they they inspire people for a couple of days, but they're and part of it is maybe it's also not the conference or the conference speakers' fault. It's the organizing team in not equipping people to follow up from the fruit of it. Um, 
as well, right? I guess I guess where my concern though gets with it all, like this is a thought that just popped to my mind. It's like we look at the Father Ted stuff, right? Or sorry, the Uncle Ted because he's not even father anymore, but Uncle Ted uh, stuff, and that was all around money in the end. Like there was so like we it's gonna come yeah. out. There, there was so much money at play here, and I just fear that it's just going to go and it, it's now the money's going to shift its its place into something different in the church, and that scares me always because I, for me it's almost like have we not learned our lessons yet uh, of this? Like I think of someone like Cardinal Ratzinger. I love the story about him. He went to do a talk at for the Legionaries back when Massiel was there. And and uh, he did it willingly. And the legionaries were known to give very large envelopes to the cardinals in gratitude for their services. Ratzinger always refused the envelope. He was happy to do the talk. He wanted to do it as a service. But he said to them, I want no payment. It's a service to the church. Now, granted, he's a priest. It's a bit different, right? Right. But I guess my fear is like, you know, if people are going to be making $150,000, $200,000, $300,000 over doing speaking tours all year, that scares me. Because Paul says that money is the root of all evil. And no, he doesn't. Uh, doesn't he? Uh, no. I thought he did. <laughs> no. He <What>? says <laughs> the love. Of money. Of sorry. Money. The it's love the of money. You're right. You're right. Big distinction. Right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm well, sorry. I mean, that's, I mean, that's actually As part of the, the reason. professional speaker. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Hey, I'm getting paid on nothing. Thursday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is important. This is why I, I really want to have this conversation yeah, with yeah. you guys because yeah, you guys do this. Uh, I even called, I mean, I just, I mean, I called to figure out uh, earlier a few months ago, what Gormley's rates are because I have to figure out I have to bring in the speaker. We've got a thing for the college. I'm like, oh, I trust Gormley to talk to people and not say things that are wrong. Um, and so I want to talk about this as people, you guys have gifts and I think that's been kind of proven. There's been fruit fruit of it. I think it's fair to say that, you know, God has asked you to do speaking stuff and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And you also should get paid because you guys also have families and that's a thing too. So I wanted to make sure we were having this conversation, not just like to, because it's, it's, it is really complex, mm-hmm. but, um, it should, should anyone make a lot of money serving the church? Yeah. I think that's the problem. Like, should anyone make a lot of money serving the church? Okay. So let me, let me farm out a couple things Yeah. Okay. and make some distinctions as my Thomistic mind is one to do. Beautiful. Um, there is a difference between a celibate prelate who has all of his housing, mm-hmm. all of his driving, all of his entire existence completely covered by the church. Absolutely. And on top of that, pulls down a Bavarian salary. You want to tell me how much that Bavarian salary is? Too much. Yeah. $200,000 a year per yeah. bishop in Germany. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. So they don't pay for Jack and they get $200,000 a year. The average priest salary is about $100,000, yeah, 90 to 100. Oh, it's I'm, disgusting. This is why the church in Germany is going to burn, by the way. Uh, I agree. I agree. I agree. Ugh, uh, you look at, you know, clergy in the US, you know, 25,000, 35,000, 45, something like that. It's it's yeah. nothing to write home about. Right. And in fact, this was a point that came up in my last inclusion class. One of our members said, "How much does your pastor get paid?" Because the United Methodist Church down the street released their financials, and he's getting paid from the church $110,000 a year. Oh. Now, their church has 20, 30,000 people. I don't know. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. 
doesn't matter. They have 57 associate pastors. They're all probably making 80, 90, hundred thousand dollars. You got cost of living in the woodlands. It's Texas. Yeah. So it's cheaper. It's the woodlands. So it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Conroe. I work in the woodlands. I always joke. If you live in the woodlands, you probably work downtown. If you work in the woodlands, you probably live in Conroe. I live in Conroe. And my whole thing, everything around this is you don't pay for my talk. You pay for my time away right. from my family and right. the amount of time that I had to go to a Catholic school out of state yep. private school to get what I think is an exceptional Catholic education. Cause there's only six universities in the United States that uh, apply to ex corde ecclesia. Mm-hmm. And so you have this mentality where I have to spend $35,000 a year to get a degree where I'm going to make $25,000 as my starting pay. Right? No, thank you. Right. And so you want the people with the degrees, you want the people with the study, the background, uh, the chops, but there's no, there's no way for them to do it where they're supporting their family and making an income. Now, if someone is a full-time speaker, I'm not a full-time speaker. I'm a full-time parish employee, and I speak on the side in order to sustain my wife as a stay-at-home mother right. and my kids as homeschool kids. Right. I, I, there's a lot of options on the table for me, but this is an avenue where I believe, uh, and, and this is now where I'm going to get into the danger, uh, I am hired to give a talk about something in particular. And I just got a call from um, a diocese uh, where they were like, um, actually a Canadian, Canadian parish. And they were like, we want you to come give a talk. What do you give talks on? And then I say, no, 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 no. That's not how I do this. Yeah. I don't give eight talks and you pick one of the eight. You tell me what your parish is going through. Yeah. What is your parish need? What's going, what is the mission of your clergy? Like, what are you yes. working on? What, where are the people like the, you know, and almost always it's we're Catholic in name only. We struggle with actually having a prayer life, understanding how to enter the mass, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. So, okay. I have a parish mission that I use for yeah. that. That's mostly can talks, but not entirely. But then I say, listen, I'm in your town. I'm giving these three talks Sunday, Monday, Tuesday at night. Can I also give it? Monday morning and Tuesday morning, like shorter lectures. So the people who are elderly or can't get around or whatever can come during the day. They're like, Oh my gosh, how much more is that going to cost? Nothing. It's part of it. I'm already there. So I feel like I'm, I'm trying to respect the balance between what a worker can demand in terms of wages yeah, versus prostituting the gospel yes. for the sake of my own ends. And what I now, love about what I love about yeah. what you're just saying, just quickly throw something in is, but what I love about what you're doing there is you want to take like you're not giving canned talks of like going around the country giving the same talk over and over and over again to different groups and getting paid for it, and and demanding uh, that you sell X amount of tickets or whatever, right? Like I see these things. This has become like we were there's all these different business models that are being instituted in the church that just really like kind of frustrate me because I'm like you shouldn't be like demanding a certain size audience is just really weird to me. Um, yeah, but I, you're I doing. Yeah, but what you're doing is you're saying, no, no, what what do you need? Like, what, what do you guys need there? And how can I, if I'm going to come, maybe 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 what you need, I can't give you, and I'm not, I'm going to say no or whatever, right? But that's what I like. Like, that's what I appreciate is you're seeing this still as a service, and, like, what you're doing is awesome. And I and I just wish that was more common. Okay, now let me let me follow this up with one statement, and then I'll – if I could okay. charge more per talk, I would. Right. Because the more I make, the less I have to do it. Right. And my fear and, and, you know, just being honest with you yep. that the money's going to run out and I'm still going to have too much a month left that my kids are going to need another surgery. 
and you know my my daughter's counseling bills right are so damn high not fucking shit i right this is this is yeah. the inner turmoil yeah i mean scripture says the worker is worth his wages yeah, absolutely but it also says freely you've been given freely you're to give yeah and so what i try to do in trying to balance this stuff is like mm-hmm. You know, I record all my talks. I post them online for free. Anyone can have them. You don't even have to come. You get them for free. They're all there. Or you can come to the event and I can get paid. The reality right. is having the free stuff gets me more gigs because people who don't know me can hire me by te- or test me out first. Right. But the reality is like I I know there is I, – like I have friends who are in the full-time ministry and I'm not full-time yeah. speaking. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And they make their lives streamlined around doing this. And, and I'm, I'm trepidatious, but yeah. um, like I have, a, I have a buddy who made $10,000 off of a parish mission. Now, how did he do that? The priest only paid him $500 a night and let him do a, hey, can you donate? Uh, on the last night, 100% of the donations go to me. Like, you know, the parish is going to write me a check afterwards. And the parish was like, that's wonderful. We we owe you two, uh, you know, a thousand dollars for these, you know, three full days and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's great. And he's and then he sells stuff. And when he sold the stuff, that's where he made the money. So this is where I say there are some people who can make two hundred thousand dollars a year because they've written three, four, five, six books. Yeah. You know, when Scott Hahn came to my parish, he charged a lot less than I thought he was. Interesting. Yeah, well, like way less than I mean, I thought he would be a ten, twenty thousand dollars speaker. Yeah. He, you know, he charges like three to $5,000, something like that wow. for a full day. Wow. But the thing is he sells his books and they right. bank on the books. Right. But you know, I would not begrudge him to sell any books and make like, if I wrote a book that became a New York times bestseller, but it was a book in service of the church, I'd be like, hell yeah, daddy's staying home for a month. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all the things you're laying out, all the things you're laying out. Um, <laughs> is it that like, should Mm, this is tough. Should lay people be discouraged from going into full-time ministry then? Like all the crosses that you have to deal with. And, and I'm not, so it's, it's tough because you, you know, you're right here and you're an example, but it's also very possible that you're a particular example, right? Um, yeah. That God's asked you to carry a particular cross and to live a particular life that happens. There are exceptions. Uh, but like, with all the stuff that a married person has to go through and all things they have to do, shouldn't lay people be discouraged? I mean, this man, it sounds crazy, but this is why I want to have that conversation. Should they be discouraged from entering into the ministry? The fact that we can just, you can just grab a speaker, bring them into your parish, uh, grab someone who will dump off a bunch of books at your parish. You can do that. All of that, does that somehow discourage vocations? Because you can just get a lay speaker, but to do to be a lay speaker and to do it well requires huge sacrifice and huge crosses that, that father Harrison and I don't have to have yeah. and don't have mm-hmm. to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause our lives are more oriented around this kind of service. We can live it out in a way that, and with, I mean, with more ease and freedom than a lay person. Sure. I, um, I want to just interject here really quick. Cause I think that's a very good question, but before I get there, I want to, I want to bring up this other point, which will tie into, um, my thoughts on this i think there's a really big difference between uh the production techne aspect of being paid to to speak and um 
and being paid to be a person who like who proclaims the gospel or, or to be or to like be like present with people for a for a period of time um I think there is like a danger of when you say, if you bring me in, you're going to get this, 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 and this, which is going to lead to A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. Because like that's this whole uh, techne aspect of it, which I think is, and I'm, you're paying me for the value that I provide your parish. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the danger, and that's like the part that feels gross. And I think maybe that's the experience that a lot of, these yeah, things can feel like sometimes because it feels very transactional as opposed yeah, to exactly. this like um lived c- c- communal experience, which is what exactly e- which is what evangelization is. Yeah, and so on on like on our end, that's why I think it's important that it, if you know, oh, within reason for as much as we can within the you know like the time a lot of that we're invested in the community that we're with. So I try to go out to lunch if we can. I try to hang out. I, I want to know what's going on. I want to be able to, I'm going to pray with them. I want to be, you know, like kind of, I, I want it to be this um, as much as it can be, again, with, you know, in reason, this uh, communal experience. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, because all the other stuff and like all the baggage that, you know, um, goes along with that. And then so then mm-hmm. is it, are too many people going in to like ministry and are these things uh, screwing up vocations, possibly. Because I think there's a ministry and talk culture. Uh, I yeah, mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. affected by that. I mean, I, I mean, especially was, with young people coming out of yes. places yeah. like Steubenville, because mm-hmm. they don't get it from their parish, and they don't get it from their priests, uh, whatever it is. But they're getting it from conferences and talks. That's where they're seeing it, or at least what looks like, you know, holiness. And so mm-hmm. why can't I just do that? I can do that and have a life and I can do that and do this. Yeah. And they want, but like, it's hard to do all those things and to do it well and to doing it according to God's plan. And is the reliance mm-hmm. on this? I mean, it, that's what I'm talking about. Like this kind of Protestant method is, are we leaning into that? And then we're having the problems of like a, a Protestant mindset in a Catholic church. And it's, it's making everything wonky. Yeah. I think I, uh, I know a Catholic speaker who, I'm not going to say his name, but he's super famous, super popular. And he told me the story of his wife coming home from yet another retreat weekend, talk weekend. And his wife, he went upstairs and he heard some noise. And she was like half dressed in the bathroom, sobbing on the floor hysterically. And they had like three or four kids at the time. And he's like, oh, my God, what happened? And she looked at him and she was so angry. And she said, you never told me it would be like this. And it was all about mm. the layman trying to do this ministry. Mm. And so as you're saying this, should we discourage the laity from active ministry? Yes and no. Right. And the reason why, like, if this were six months ago, I'd have said, sounds like clericalism to me. You're trying to wall <laughs> I know, off. I know, it does. You're trying to wall off the garden. Oh, everything the lay people do takes away from my priest. Oh, now they want to be deacons. How dare they? You know, and all this stuff. But, but honestly, the reason why I said six months ago, um, I'm trying to figure out my retirement right now. And I'm trying to get all the finances in order. And I'm sitting there. And I, our diocese has is a has a 403b retirement plan, right? Like a 401k, but 
for nonprofits. And there's a pension that's a joke, so I'm not even going to consider that. Um, and I'm thinking the whole time, wouldn't it be awesome if the parish could do matching don't, you know, funds? Because that's what you do for the 401k. Your, your, your job says, well, we'll match up to 5% or up to $5,000 a year. You put in 5,000, we'll put in 5,000. Uh, all of my friends are in jobs like that, and I'm not. Gormley, come work yeah. for me because our diocese does that. They contribute? Yes, it's, it's part of our policy. Oh, it's actually pretty. It's actually very normal here in Canada. So, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a decision to come up there, just <laughs> for the money. <laughs> but there is this element yeah, yeah, within yeah, yeah. me that looks yeah. at this and says, there, there is a part of the laity that doesn't connect when it's full time employees. You know, as a layperson, like I don't, I don't think of myself as. Um, uh, uh, no, actually, that's not true. I was going to say I don't think of myself as a priest. But there have been so many times where someone comes knocking on the church door and I'm the only person around that can talk to a person mm. in crisis. Yeah, right. And it's not because the priests aren't doing their job or the deacons aren't. They are. And that's why they're off campus and they're doing this, doing that. Mm. But I do often assume the role of the priest right. in certain aspects. Obviously, when I'm hearing confessions, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but, but to be honest with you, there's an element where when I talk with people I, I, who are thinking about becoming youth ministers or speakers or whatever, I say discern the hell out of it because it will chew you up and spit you out if you're not on your A game. And here's the deal. It is almost impossible to be on your A game when you're on empty. I'm yeah. going to Green Bay. They're going to do a show in Appleton. I fly back, have to drive straight to work. And then on Saturday morning, we're doing this leadership summit which is my, one of my favorite things we do as a parish. And it's just for our parish, just for the leader volunteers of our parish. And we're doing this epic thing together. But I'm going from 24-hour Green Bay, you know, red-eye, not really red-eye, but early morning flights out there and coming back, and it's like all the stuff. And then on top of that, I come home to a full house of kids and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There is no, and my wife who homeschools, right, she must feel the same way. There's no downtime here. Yeah. Yeah, that brought, that brings up something I, I I think a lot when I listen to you, your guys' podcasts every week. Is I think to myself, who's ministering to these guys? Yeah, because you are doing so much, and you. I mean, it's also tough when you are. I think it's tough for anybody who's in ministry in the church to one allow themselves to be ministered to, but also to find someone who can do it. Because a lot of times, the closest priests to them are ones they work for, and that gets all goofy and messed up. Uh, something that's something I worry about when I just listen to you guys. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, in terms of clergy, no one other than Father David Huss. And we kind of see each other as, as equals, although he will remind me that his sacramental dignity makes him better than me. Uh, <laughs> rightfully so. Thanks, Trent. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I mean, I have brothers. I don't have fathers. Yeah, that's that not sucks. good. That's not good. That's not good. Yeah. At I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming you for it. I'm just saying that that's a that's not that's not a good thing, right? No, no. And yeah. I acknowledge that it's not a good thing. But I, I have men who are mentors in my life, but I would not call them fathers. That kind of goes back to like what we were talking about earlier, where it's like it can be hard to go to unconfession with people and stuff because it's like they're your friends and you know them, and yeah. it does make it difficult. But I think it's, um, and the priests are in that circumstance ten times worse than I am. In my uh, diocese, I mean, they got they got five thousand family parishes 
10,000 family parishes, That's right? Disgusting. So they have cities that they're, <laughs> that they're giving the sacraments to, right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? 22,000 at my parish. Now 7,000 come on a weekend. Ugh, that just overwhelms but, me. Right. But think about this. 7,000 come. And that means we have funerals four days a week, two weddings a weekend, and it never stops. And how many priests are in that parish? Two with a full-time hospital chaplain. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Wow. Yeah, G's is right. <laughs> we need some G's. This is why, this is why we need, this is why we need, like, uh, it's, it's, it's well, you know, the thing is, though, this is, it's going to get worse. It's going I'm, to get worse I'm because. I'm just remembering. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, I was just going to say, it's going to get worse because um, there's going to be the whole generation gap of the, of, no, of lack of priests from the 80s and 90s. And that's going to hit. And so these older yeah. priests from the 60s and 70s who are ordained are soon coming up on retirement or going to die out. And then there's going to be the gap and it's going to be bad. Like where are, my diocese already seen this, um, but uh, it's going to be bad. And so it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Just please pray for priests. We need priests. <laughs> well, and um, to kind of like go to the question about is it hurting vocations? Um I don't think so because I think they're already pretty effed up and broken, like these these individuals. Right. And so I don't know if it's really stealing anyone away as much as it's just a sign that like we are profoundly broken right now. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm remembering something in my vocation story that I I forgot about. Um, that I just remembering now, I, I was I remember driving back from one of our um, in high school one of our life night planning nights, whatever I was on the core team. Cause of course I was right. And I remember getting, pulling into my driveway and thinking to myself and being so sad because now I had to go back to high school and go back to the world. And I couldn't talk about Jesus with my friends and plans. That's what I wanted to do. And I remember praying and telling God that like, you know what I want to, I want to be completely devoted to you. I don't care if I'm poor. I don't care if I have to move. I don't care about any of that stuff. It was one of the most like I had an intense what felt like an intense spiritual consolation that moment. I'm crying in my car. And I knew from that moment that God was calling me to be a youth minister. <laughs> like that's where my brain first went. I remember talking to my youth minister and she actually ended up steering me a little bit uh, in the right direction. But I think just the fact that that was my first instinct mm. says something. Mm. Doesn't it? What, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, I was it's just gonna, my yeah. example. I was going to share that exact thing. No, like when I was a youth minister, um, about six teenagers that were seniors that I worked with pretty closely, you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors, whatever, all got church jobs immediately around my di- my parish. Mm-hmm. The youth ministers of three neighboring parishes, working at Frasati Catholic High School, all this stuff. They all got church jobs. One turned down a a ride to Notre Dame in order to go to Franciscan to become a youth minister. Whoa. And, yeah, an engineering ride. Not a full ride, but a ride nonetheless. Another woman turned it down to become a religious, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I felt better about her turning it down, and she had a full ride. Mm-hmm. than this other guy turned it down to become a uh, a youth minister. And the reason being, I felt like she was pursuing her vocation. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like he was pursuing his vocation. He was pursuing his Christianity and the way that he interpreted being fervent for my faith was the only example that he had 
that knew him, loved about him, care about him, and actually shepherded him in the faith, which was his youth minister. Yeah. And someone, a priest one time asked, you know, how come they're not going to the diocesan priesthood? And when the question was posed to me, I just said, because you're not with them. Yeah. You're never with them. Yeah. Oh, the youth. I, I'm not really. I have my former pastor. He's now uh, our auxiliary bishop. But I remember him saying, when I was younger, I used to be involved in Catholic youth organization, all that stuff. He said, but now that's that's a young person's game. That's for y'all. I mean, my youth minister, who's now my boss, she's my youth minister. She wasn't. She was, you know, a mom yeah. with a bunch of kids. And I, 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 yeah. the biggest myth about youth ministry is that you have to be cool and hip to be a youth no, minister. Absolutely, yeah. the thing that the you need teens, to be a father or a mentor. No, no, I mean, I mean, just even. I mean, yes, yes, that. But what, you just have to be like real. Because these high schoolers are fed so much bullshit day in and day out yeah. that they immediately gravitate to someone. They don't care how old it is. If someone who has some kind of sense of themselves and isn't trying to be someone they're not, yeah. that's all you really have to do. That's what can't, they gravitate to. Can't youth ministry so, or church be the one place where cool doesn't dominate? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, so two things. Uh, first is I remember a friend of mine, he said that his, the most influential priest on him in his life was like he was like something like 60 or 70 years old. Yeah. And he was 18 at the time. Right. But that priest um, showed him a direction in life that he was looking for that no one else would offer. The guy wasn't cool or hip or with it or anything, but he was a father to him, really, in the end. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is and this is where your point about like vocation thing. I think that's that's such an important thing. We need to kind of this is where it's been such a big thing for me about uh, reorienting ourselves around the discussion about what's proper discernment about vocation, because that. Your vocation is your mission, right? That is that is the definition of, and then within the context of your mission, how does that take a particular expression? And that, that's even, I would even say sometimes even a, it can be a bit more of a practical discernment sometimes. Um, but like, if God's not calling you to be a priest, then maybe the, the good ride to Notre Dame might be the good decision to make, because if you're going to be married, then that might be a good thing to have. Right. Um, And then like it's in the context of your marriage then you start to say, okay, how particularly will I be serving the Lord through this marriage? But like when you're telling me that story, I'm thinking this person kind of flipped it on its head. And we did a lousy job as a church helping them kind of discern that properly. Yeah, I think a lot of times there's this I get worried like where I where I struggled a lot with this stuff when I was younger was that I really don't think I had a good understanding of what God's will was. In fact, I think, um, not the school itself, but the students at Steubenville really fucked me up good with that. (laughs) Uh, Um, uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 100%. (laughs) And again, like I'm not the school. I don't think it's, I really don't think it's the schools. I think it's like this, the, it's the kids. Um, (laughs) I, I, the kids are not all right. No, they're not. I, I just, you know, I just, I really didn't understand what God's will actually was and um, what that yeah. meant and how much freedom and autonomy I actually have and how mm-hmm. the Lord like wants me to have that. Like I thought I had mm-hmm. to be like a, like a blind slave. And I, of course I didn't say no, I was, we like, we like are like robots and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I had like I didn't know what I wanted to do because I didn't know what God wanted uh, me to do. So I was kind of like, I'll just do this, you know, like I and um, no, that's ultimately on me. But there is this thing within young Catholic 
um, a culture where we be like, you know, like you see it in, uh, in um, dating all the time. God just has the right one for me. Yeah, it's I like know. it's isn't it no. odd how it's easier to find the writer one? How, how it's like easier to find the right one when you're not fat? You know, like it's, <laughs> it's kind of like it's you know, it's just it's really messed up. It's yeah. really, really, really like messed up. God's calling you to marriage, so now go find a wife and pick one. You know, it's like it, it, it doesn't that God gives us a practical judgment for a reason. He gave us brains for a reason. And it's in cooperation with grace. Like it's, it's not like he's absent or not being not working, but we have a free will. Cause if, if that's the other way you're looking at it, they have to over discern everything and every decision, then you've actually become a puppet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I think a lot of times when people choose a career in ministry, um, I just I don't think they've really ever had the like I went into it kicking and screaming. I mean I I mean I honestly <laughs> I remember being like fine I'll do it, and I and I prayed Anovina about it. And the very next day I was like like asked to like quick, apply for a job. Quick question. Yes. After your experience with all that, was the kicking and screaming warranted? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was really like, this is not what yeah, I wanted yeah. to do. This is not the yeah, path yeah. I was on. No. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I had some real concerns about like yeah, bills yeah. and life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was valid. Yeah. I was like, how can I, yeah. you know, jump from, you know, what was um, finally I was able to make like a decent amount of money to a point where I was like, I was also, I mean, yeah. So it was, it was definitely difficult, you know, and um, like God really had to say, here's an opportunity. This is what it could lead to. You know, like this is why I want you here, and it you know, and all makes sense now. But it it wasn't, um, yeah, it was tough. It was really, really tough. Can I throw out something kind of practical? I think uh, sometimes people miss. Oh, actually, two things. One is that this culture of public ministry being the only way to live out your Christian faith, like, feeds into this thing where the parish is just about the parish, and there's no going out. And then the second thing is that um, using my brother as an example, he went to school for communications. He has a job with the diocese, but it's like a jobby job with the diocese. Um, but he works part-time at a parish uh, doing middle school ministry. And he'll also kind of be on the speaker circuit, but just like in my diocese. Like if you need someone to talk to your eighth graders for a confirmation thing, um, he can go do it and do a good job. I think one thing that, and one thing as I'm trying to help um, uh, our youth minister, Bill, a youth ministry that we need m- more and more are just kind of regular, holy parish volunteers who can give a witness, who can maybe give a little talk. It doesn't have to be this most profound thing, but just can do something. And to have that kind of build up like a core team or just to help out in the church. And that way, there's room for you to kind of scratch that itch of ministry, which I don't think is a bad thing to have. But you don't necessarily have to devote your whole life to things, to this thing in order to, to do it well and to be incredibly helpful to the parish. I think the danger, I mean, one, 100% lockstep, the danger with having a professional laity is that church work becomes a career. Like my, my title is coordinator of evangelization. Does that mean that I'm the only one in charge of evangelizing? Does that mean I'm the only evangelist? Like, no, that's not what that means at all. It means no one's doing any damn evangelization. <laughs> so we're gonna put a guy. We're gonna put a guy in charge of it so that he can help get the word out. You guys suck so badly. We, we had to hire a person to do this. You guys suck so badly. We hired Gormley. 
You being the parish. <laughs> yeah, and but I mean it's it's true. Like we have youth ministry because we have a lack of Christian community that we need to hire. A, um, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to hire adults to professionally love your kids. I mean, if you talk about youth ministry as its core function is not teaching but relationship, that means its core is to fill in the gap of loving your children because you're too busy to, you're not doing it well, whatever. So we're surrogate parents, but also at the same time, we're catechists who have to evangelize and catechize in unique ways. And it's a poverty, but if it doesn't happen by us, it's not going to get done. And then we can all sit around and say, well, if only we had more priests, but that's not going to come right now. And it would be great if we had more priests. But um, the, the other thing I'll say about the, the lay ministry is then it becomes careerism. It becomes church surfing to get the right paycheck, the right feel. It's not serving my church, my community. And I'm, I, I'm, I've been guilty of this. I left Sugarland at St. Lawrence Catholic Church as a middle school youth minister to get a higher paying job doing adult faith formation at St. Anthony of Padua. Now, the difference being St. Anthony's was my home parish, where as a teen I went to, I was a youth minister there as well. Um, but And I was done with youth ministry and I wanted to move into adult formation. Um, so that being said, like, this is my community. I'm serving my community. I'm trying to do my best. Um, but at the same time, I see the creep of parents let the catechist teach your kids. You don't have to. And our church, we try to combat that. Our sacrament catechesis is done entirely at home and you check in with the church. So we give the parents all the books and the books are, it's hard work. Even for me, who has a master's degree, sitting down with my kid for an hour and a half lesson on sacred scripture is hard work. And we put that as a parish on the onus on the parent. So we have kids that don't get their sacraments because the parents just can't be bothered. Um, now that said, the professionalism, it is good to be professional if you're going to be anything at the church. People will say this line, if anyone should be professional, shouldn't it be the church? Shouldn't we be the one who is putting the most positive you know, message out there in the ether of the world? Shouldn't we have active social media accounts and, and websites that are beautiful, not just informational because, I mean, Christ has called us to use truth, beauty, and goodness to get the word out. Shouldn't we be the best speakers we can possibly be? And shouldn't we give our people... Can you be the best people, version of yourself? If I, you know, in our house, that is a pejorative phrase, and I almost <laughs> said it. And if I would have said it, I would have punched myself in the face. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to throw it out there. There was no, you were right to call me out. I am publicly shamed. Um, my wife literally was watching NASCAR and she walked in and she said, Hey, do you hear what JJ Watt just said at this? Uh, at the, my wife is more of a man than I'll ever be. Uh, yes. Do you hear what JJ Watt just said on the, to a graduation commencement thing? And I go, no. And she goes, be blah, 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 be blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is be the best version of yourself. And Kateri, <laughs> my daughter from upstairs goes, Oh no. And <laughs> just yelled that because she yeah. hates that. Um, anywho, yeah. the, the, sh- shouldn't we offer our, our, our people the best that we can offer from graphic design to communications, to development, to websites and bulletins, to, um, talks and advice and uh, if I'm going to get a schmo from my parish to come talk to my 
neighboring Reformed Baptists and have a conversation, should I get just anyone or should I get the guy who has a master's degree in theology? Right. Like that's the other side of this. Like if mm-hmm. we're going to do it well and then you hear the Chesterton voice, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's important. Um, but not everyone, not every mission, not every task requires a master's degree. There are some that do. Absolutely. Um, no, I mean, excellence. Yeah. What's the drive yeah. to excellence? Well, no, but the excellence isn't for the people. The excellence is because the excellence shows that Christ is the most important thing for us. Mm-hmm. That's why you have good graphic design, because the message is right. precious, and it right. deserves something right. better than Comic Sans. That's why you're doing that. Yeah. And, and yeah. not only that, it's about, like, it's about, yes, putting your best foot forward, but that it's not always going to be the best in the eyes of the world either. Um, because we, we, you know, I'm in a small parish where if I would, I am the graphic designer because I'm the only person who really knows how to use that stuff. Right. Um, I, <laughs> and I freaking so- love comic sans come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're going to, but it's also about trusting the, uh, invisible work of grace to be at work as well. Um, that it's not a, like, yes, we are participating in Christ's work. But it's God who's the animator. It's God who's the one who's doing. Not like I'm trying to say, like, let's like embrace quietism and just like sit in a corner and just let the Holy Spirit do the work. But you do your best. <laughs> hey, but also, hey, you guys didn't animate this video. Oh, I'm sorry. Father Harrison said God is the animator. <laughs> <laughs> is right he an there. illustrator? <laughs> not even a DJ. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luke, break oh, my heart. All right, it's, you know, anyways, we gotta we gotta wrap yeah. this show. Oh yeah, we, gotta, we got we could go on forever. Oh, we crap. could, but I appreciate this. Like this has given me some new insights into things that I didn't quite think of before, which is helpful. We all go through our like own phase uh, as we do podcasts when we want to bash on 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 Catholic speakers. That's fine. <laughs> I did it. Gormley did it. Your best friend doing out. it. Father Anthony did not invite me out to his parish after that call. I didn't because I, I'll talk about that later. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. But feel uh, free to book your life. I'm catching foxes uh, podcast. I'm I'm exhausted. <laughs> Guys, this is fun. Uh, where can people find your podcast? Catholic uh, stuff. Uh, we should know. Dot com. Right now, Great. Oh, wow. Wow. Right now. Uh, yeah, Everybody uh, quiet so we can listen to Father Harrison plug yeah. us. Clericallyspeaking.com. Uh, you can find us on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, all those things for Clerically Speaking. We have a Twitter account at ClericalPod. Uh, email ClericallySpeaking at gmail.com. You know, we got we're, producer Nick, God bless him, does a lot of the background work to help keep our social media presence for the podcast out nice. there. Yeah. Excellent. You guys have a, a great podcast. I, re- I really do uh, like it. So, oh, thanks. Here's I the like Luke it. plug. Yes. You can find me and Gomer at patreon.com slash CF. That's patreon.com slash CF. Thanks a lot, guys. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, we don't really need to. Up- what? This is emotionally exhausting. <laughs> I, <know. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to talk about this and just have us BS about it when I knew you guys would be good to. <laughs> Like yeah. to make it real, because it would be yeah. easier for just to bash stuff. I was like, oh, these are two good, relatively old people who do this. 